Hello everyone, welcome to the Joking Dolphin Game Pod. I'm Mark and as always enjoyed by Matthew. Yeah. And Nathan. Good morning. We alright, lads? Aye, not far Hi. bad. Not too bad. After the storm of 2022. Storms, plural. Yeah, storms. Only about three or four of them. Well, yeah, yeah something like that. Shall we move on to the news? Yes, please. Let's do, yeah, quickly. <laughs> Anybody want to start us off? I, I, I suppose I could, I could start off a little bit with, uh, with our friends over at Activision Blizzard. Um, friends. Yep. <laughs> uh, so, just going to get the, the article up this from Eurogamer. Um, but a couple of their shareholders um, are suing uh, Activision Blizzard um, over the whole Microsoft uh, buyout. Um, so, I'll just also read the report. There was uh, people suing Activision Blizzard. <laughs> yeah. Um, so this is by Victoria Candy over at Eurogamer. So the arc goes, more lawsuits have been filed against Activision Blizzard, this time by two of its shareholders. The first lawsuit was filed by Kyle Watson in California. In that lawsuit, Watson claims that the planned acquisition by, of Activision by Microsoft is unfair for a number of reasons. Uh, according to their lawyers. Uh, one of these reasons is that the board is hoping to procure for themselves and senior management significant and immediate benefits. Uh, oh, not, isn't, not that, these, isn't, isn't that always the case of these sorts of things? Well, isn't that why yeah, you're doing it? Pretty much. Um, so the article sort of continues saying, uh, in addition to this, lawsuit states that Microsoft's acquisition plans were not in Activision Blizzard's best interest nor that of Carl Watson's and their fellow shareholders. Watson uh, claims the preliminary proxy statement Activision Blizzard filed with the US Securities and Exchange Commission was materially deficient, whatever that means, um, and did not give them appropriate data that would allow them to make an intelligent, informed and rational decision on whether to vote in favour for the proposed transaction. Just to sort of skip on ahead, uh, following sort of Kyle's lawsuit, uh, the other shareholder uh, named Shiva Stein um, has filed their own against uh, Activision Blizzard and this board, which is very similar to Watson's. Um, although, however, um, this has come from sort of Polygon. They've stated that Stein is apparently one of the most prolific securities plaintiffs in the United States, and they have filed 124 security lawsuits from 2018 to 2020. So, reading this now what you want. <laughs> uh, but just, you know, I suppose more trouble for Activision Blizzard. Um, I have to say, it's not one of the lawsuits that really interests me. <laughs> no, it's not, is it? It's just, it's just shareholders. Maybe yeah, rightfully wrongly, uh, probably looking for some sort of you know royalties over not being maybe informed about this acquisition before it went through. Maybe I, I could sort of see it on that side of it, but it's just just more and more bad news for Activision Blizzard. <laughs> You'd think they should have known on some level if if they earned well if they earned a certain amount of shares, they should have been privy to that information. <clears throat> but if not, like. For example, I had a few shares in that division. I'm not kicking off because the share price went up. Well, hey, but anyway, oh, yeah, that's, I'm sure. that's, that's a different thing. But yeah, it's just how, how much you rate it. I'm not going to mention on this podcast. I'll tell you after. 
if you want okay. to know. <laughs> just know, about sour grapes, though. I can I can I can understand it a bit because if there was pivotal information that they didn't understand or were or knew about, then yeah, maybe they've got a point. But yeah, it just seems like a very Americanized thing to I don't like this. Let's sue them. That's just what it. That's just what it seems like to me. Mm. Well, I think the, the there was a uh, there was a report that came out that apparently the acquisition didn't or the, the the talks for it didn't start until sort of a few days after the whole news broke out of of everything that happened at Activision. You know, the whole sexual abuse and um, unfortunate loss of life that happened due to it. Yeah. Um, at least that's that's what I read somewhere. That, like Phil Spencer was like, "We're not happy with you. Let's buy you." <laughs> that's it. That will make you better. <laughs> I I read the same thing. It was I read that it was literally the day after when Phil Spencer came out pretty much attacking Activision Blizzard and yeah. saying that, "Oh, we want to buy you now." Yeah. It's like corporate corporate warfare there. True, but I mean, I suppose when all this news broke out, the 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 price of Activision, Activision did drop, so you could see the the money signs probably started appearing in Phil's head. It's like, yep, <laughs> know what we could do with this lot. Continue with Activision Blizzard, 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 Blizzard. <laughs> so there's reports that apparently there will be no new mainline Call of Duty game in 2023. Which oh, is thank Christ. So this is a uh, from Jason Schreier and Bloomberg. It said Activision Blizzard Inc. will delay a Call of Duty game that had been planned for next year. The first time the franchise will be without an annual mainline release in nearly two decades, according to people familiar with the plan. The company is pushing off the release after a recent entry in the series failed to meet expectations. Vanguard. Leading some executives to believe that they're introducing new versions too rapidly. Uh, who, uh, the people who asked not to be identified because they were authorised, they were not they weren't authorised to discuss the deliberations. The decision was not related to Activision's agreement to sell itself to Microsoft for $69 billion. Uh, Activision is working on other projects to fill the gap next year. A Call of Duty game set to come out this fall will receive a steady stream of additional content, and there will be a new free-to-play online title next year, set to people. Treyarch, the Activision-owned company working on the now-delayed game, will also help with the free-to-play title. We have an exciting slate of premium and free-to-play Call of Duty experiences for this year, next year and beyond, a spokesman for Activision wrote in an emailed statement. We look forward to sharing more details when the time is right. And that subsequently it's come out that apparently the rumours about the Treyarch free-to-play game will be a standalone Call of Duty Zombies game, apparently. Yes, please. But obviously that's a rumour. But... Do it. <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. It's it's it, it. I think it's a good idea to just not release another one next next year. It's become it's this Call of Duty fatigue, isn't it? I think. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, certainly. Um, I think the the argument as well is that um, if if like the next Call of Duty doesn't do so well, then everyone kind of just migrates back to the previous one, and yeah. there's probably an argument of like. They should they should just continue making more content for that one instead. Yeah. But I think I think if they start making it every two years, I think that will benefit 
one, the fans, because now they'll get two years of the same Call of Duty and you just continue adding to it. Um, you'd have to fork out for another game. You'd have to, yeah, you'd have to fork out so much. Um, the studios get more time to develop in case, you know, certain things happen like they did with um, Black Ops Cold War. That's probably just better for them as individuals as well. Developers actually working on it. It's just better yeah. for their mental health, you know. No yeah. worry, a crunch or things like that. No crunching, yeah. Um, like, I, I refer back to Cold War because really, originally, Vanguard should have been the one that came out beforehand because mm. they had their like three year cycle. But for whatever reason, something just wasn't working in development. So they had to kind of force Treyarch to, like, okay, you've you kind of got a year less. We're going to put you here now because you know what you're doing. <laughs> yeah. To a certain degree. I mean, the game did come out buggy. Um, which was unfortunate, but that's the time restraints that they've got. But that, but then you can see with like the extra year that Sledgehammer did get. I think Vanguard was one of the more polished Call of Duty's to come out at launch, or at least I didn't, yeah, I didn't, I didn't experience as many issues with it um, outside of people spamming those two kill streaks that always crash mm. the game every time, <laughs> and infinite dogs, which was annoying, but. No, I, th- I think doing this, they should just look at how, how Ubisoft did it with um, Assassin's Creed. Took a year out, new game came out, um, and it was, to my understanding, read very well. Yeah. Getting that extra year of you know, polishing for, I think it was Origins. So, but I'll be interested to see what this, this free, free-to-play title is. You see with the, the rumours? Yeah, the rumour that Treyarch is going to be doing a standalone free-to-play Call of Duty Zombies game. I'd heard somewhere there might be Warzone 2. Apparently that's another thing, though. Is that another thing entirely? Mm, okay. Yeah. Well, I mean, if there's zombies, I'll, I'll be up for it, because I, I love my zombies, so... Which is unfortunate for Vanguard side of stuff. <laughs> to be honest, I didn't mind the zombies on Vanguard. Might be one of the few that didn't, but... Ah, that's because you've not got a history of playing zombies, sir. I do. Black Ops no, pro- 3. no proper history. <laughs> yeah, I have only played, played like no. three zombies in Call of Duty. Yeah, that's it. Man who completes Easter eggs and all that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Does anyone want to talk about Nintendo? And the yeah, news that they've decided to close the Wii U and 3DS eShops. Mm, yeah. yeah. What's your thoughts on this? Uh. Hmm. In my opinion, it's upsetting for the games that we're going to lose. But in the grand scheme of things, who was using it? If there was if there was numbers going through them platforms, they'd keep them open. Was if it, it was this... worth to keep them open? They would keep them open. Isn't that the same argument for the this is what we're going to say PS3 and yeah. PSV stores though? Mm. We made we made enough noise to tell them not to do it, and then they reversed it. I don't think there's been as much backlash about this though. I've not heard many people complain about it, which is surprising. Or Nintendo fans are just very nice, <laughs> just don't want to rock the boat. <laughs> well, I don't know, because there was a, um, there's a, like a, oh, what's, what was it called? There's a, there's a group that's come out that's, that's all about, you know, preserving game history. Yeah, yeah, I've got it here. So it's, yeah. um, it's, so it's the Video Game History Foundation released the following so statement. It. They said, while it is unfortunate that people won't be able to purchase digital 3DS or Wii U games anymore, we understand that business reality that went into this decision. 
What we don't understand is what path Nintendo expects its fans to take should they wish to play these games in the future. As a paying member of the Entertainment Software Association, Nintendo actively funds lobbying that prevents even libraries from being able to provide legal access to these games. Not providing commercial access is understandable, but preventing institutional work to preserve these titles on top of that is actively destructive to video game history. We encourage ESA members like Nintendo to rethink their position on this issue and work with existing institutions to find a solution. Mm. A fair comment, I think. I think so. I mean, historically, Nintendo has been fairly backwards in their view to, mm. Mm. Um, I'd say, preserving and in terms of their the view to other people having access to their content, I'd say. Yeah, I, I do think out, out of the, we'll say like the three big console companies, Nintendo are definitely the most active in terms of finding um, like ROM sites and wanting to get them took down. So like, I, don't, I don't see like PlayStation or Microsoft actively going after these sites. But then to turn that around, both companies are also a lot better in offering their uh their, you know their libraries of classic games like you should look at xbox with you know if you've got the game pass you've got access to all these classic xbox games xbox 360 games xbox one games at some point you know and playstation are slowly working to do that um but you know you've got stuff like playstation now so you've got well yeah i know we don't want it sometimes but it is there isn't you know it, it is there. yeah it is an, an option if you want to take it but nintendo well, I mean, I, I didn't, I didn't have, um, I kind of skipped about two generations between GameCube and Switch, so I know I kind of missed the whole virtual console side of stuff. I don't know if that was like a, a, a good way of playing classic games. I, I heard it was, but like at the moment for the Switch, like we don't have that. It's just currently, it's just you know, if you've got the um, Switch Online, then you've got access to certain nintendo titles certain super nintendo um if you've got the expansion pass you're going to start doing your n64 and mega drive which is great but it's not as expansive of a library as the other two offer so when and they're being very slow about updating them as well yeah i don't think they've updated the nintendo on snes one um for quite a few months until like they added earthbound into it I mean, I think at this stage they're trying to push the um, the Mega Drive and the N64 stuff on, so that's the mm. what they're going for. I mean, it would be nice if they could potentially port the 3DS and Wii U stores and virtual console over, so you could access it via the Switch. So yeah. everything were in one place. That'd be like the dream, the uh, ideally. But well, I don't think they're going to do that. Can't see them doing that at all. We should no. know that that this uh this these were closed in March 2023, so there's been a year's yeah. announcement. Well, that that was that like justification for doing it. When it's like, well, we'll give you like a year notice. So. Yeah. But I think it's um I think is it is it May this year or is it May? I think it's May this year. They're gonna, they're gonna stop allowing you to um. Yeah, so as of the 23rd of May 2022, um, you'll no longer be able to use credit cards to add funds to the Nintendo eShop account for Wii U or 3DS. And then as of the 29th of August 2022, 
you'll no longer be able to use the Nintendo eShop cards to add funds to um, the Wii U and 3DS systems. And then the overall clothes and point where you can't redeem any download codes, that's the March 2023 date. Mm. So if you do want to download anything or spend any of your cash in there, do it now and make sure you've got what you want downloaded onto those systems downloaded because you won't be able to do that nearly this time next year. Yeah, I think the point as well, though, is that the although the shops are closing, the actual servers are not. So the servers will still be up past March 2023. Um, how long for? I'm not sure. Just to carry on with this, Video Game Chronicle did a study on the impact of this. And this mm. is what they said. said. According to Nintendo's own eShop data, there are 842 digital Wii U games currently available to download in North America, 838 in Europe, and 684 in Japan. These figures, of course, include download versions of retail games and virtual console titles. When these titles are removed from the data, you're left with around 450 digital-only eShop games in Europe and North America, which will no longer be available after the store closes. This varies by region. In the UK, for example, there are 405 download-only Wii U games. The scale of the impending eShop closures impact is significantly larger on 3DS due to its far greater library of games. According to Nintendo's eShop data, there are 1,331 3DS digital titles available to buy in Japan. 1,075 in Europe, 1099 in North America. This includes virtual console titles and retail titles with digital versions. In the West, not counting these, just over 600 of the games being removed are download only 3DS eShop titles. Again, this varies by region. In the UK, for example, there are 598 download only 3DS games. So, yeah, a lot of games disappearing. Quite worryingly. It is a shame. Well, that's it. We've so... got to think um, Nintendo will have them backed up on the server. They'll put it into a nice fancy offering at some point and give them back to us. And we'll have to pay for them again. You think this is going to go on that expansion pass thing, whatever? Hmm. It'd be nice. Just, just a thought. But... I think it'd be nice. I don't know if it'll... I don't know if it'll be on the Switch or maybe in the next console. So I don't know how you would replicate the the screens for like even just like a DS... How you'd be able to pull that off on Switch. So Yeah. Unless they did it in a really cool way that it was... No, they couldn't do that. I was thinking docked only, but if you've docked it, you can't hold your Switch. Well, that's it. Because I was thinking like the it's top not... screen could be the TV. Yeah, the it's not the Wii U. Screen... Yeah. <laughs> it's not the Wii U. Uh, I mean, you could do it docked. I mean, if they if they separate out the, the two screens, like you'd have to hold it virtual, uh, virtually. Vertically. Vertically. I mean, some some games do offer the you know the touch stylus like I got one from um, Super Mario Maker 2, so you could tr- maybe try and do it that way. I've just sort of thought what they could do because the USB Type C is at the bottom. They could do like a a 3DS expansion that you can slot on the bottom of your Switch. That I mean, that means absolutely insane. I mean, I wouldn't say a need for it, but I can, I can see where you're trying to go with it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that's just a thought. If that happens, I'm going to be astounded. Overall, it's sad that we're going to be losing all these games, potentially, unless Microsoft come back and say what's going to be happening post-shutdown of these stores. Mm. Microsoft? Did you say Microsoft? Did I say Microsoft? Did you say Microsoft? I thought I said Nintendo. I thought you said Microsoft. <laughs> but I can't remember <laughs> that. I, I, I'm not sure now. I'm not going to... Cut that, cut that bit. <laughs> yeah. 
forward to something else, which is, I guess, could be somewhat related. Mm-hmm. This might be the answer to all their all their problems. Mm-hmm. So, a video game. So this is for my jam. A video game reseller has discovered hundreds of factory sealed Nintendo and Sega games from the 80s and 90s inside a storage facility in Nebraska, in the US. What a yeah. strange yeah. place to be. Hordes of SNES, Sega CD, Genesis, Saturn and 3DO games were put in storage after a local store closed down in 1994 and have remained untouched until now. Uh, a Nebraska-based reseller called Game Room found the collection and staff joked in a video that there were as many copies of the less valuable NBA and Madden games as there are interesting finds, but the several boxes of incredibly rare games more than make up for it. The video ends with Game Room showing off some of the collection's rarest sealed games, including Chrono Trigger on SNES, valued at over $2,400, according to Price Charting, a website that tracks the value of classic games. Also on SNES was Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 4, Turtles in Time, worth over $1,400, Final Fantasy 3, worth over $1,200, and Sunset Riders, worth over $750. Game Room said they won't be releasing any details on the overall value of the collection until it's all preserved and documented but it's likely worth tens of thousands of dollars. Not a bad find, is it? Definitely not. I, w- I want to know how he how he came across this. Like, did, did he did he purchase... Have you seen storage hunters before? He was like, oh, before? look at all this. It's mine now. <laughs> Would it be like storage hunters where they auction them off if they don't pay for the um, yeah. unit? I say if it was something like that, then like that's a, that's a wicked find. I just think this is great for the sealed market. Because with any luck, it'll crash it a bit. <laughs> or flood all these rare games that come in. Exactly. I don't so know which one are you going to be buying, Nathan? No. <laughs> it doesn't actually say how many they're actually worth, though. Really not? No. It just says hordes. Must just be a box. <laughs> yeah. You just found <laughs> one lone box. <laughs> just because like, the value like was like $8,000. <laughs> it's good, though. Like, if I were buying storage units and you found this unit with all these games in it and you won it it'd just be absolutely amazing going through it all you'd be like a kid in a candy store like going back to the 90s finding all these games oh, i'd just be wonderful not to mention oh, yeah. the value oh, i would love to have gone, gone through what i found see what see what there was quietly slip something into your pocket <laughs> just a cheeky chrono trigger there oh yeah i'd be all over chrono trigger at least Shall we go from finding games to someone losing potentially games. losing? Um, not quite losing, but we'll we'll say cutting games, shall we? Or cutting ah. game so content. We've gone from losing games with the Wii U and 3DS to finding games in storage units to now cutting games. Yep. That so it's all a loop. Yeah. So, I don't, I don't know if anyone really heard about this game, or, or would have heard about this game if it weren't for this news, really. Um, but the, there's, a, there's a current new game uh, on the market, um, new horror game, it's called Martha is Dead. Uh, I believe it's made by some Italian developers. I mean, that's a spoiler, if anything, isn't it? Well, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's made by a developer called LKA. Just... Uh, just, just don't, don't show the game to um, Batman or Superman. Um, <laughs> comic humor. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I have no so, idea what you're talking about. That's okay. <laughs> Why did you say I'll, that? I'll, name? I'll, yeah. 
we'll, we'll, we'll tell you after the pod. But anyway, yeah. so moving back on topic. So, Marvel is Dead is a, is a horror game uh, that has been released on, I think it's on PlayStation, Xbox, and PC. And it has some certain graphic uh, scenes in it um, that if you play on, on PC and Xbox, you'll either A, get to see it, or B, you'll get to play it. Um, if you've got it on uh, PlayStation, though, um, unfortunately, you don't get to do those things. Yeah. Or, uh, fortunately, yeah. or fortunately, depending, or depending on, yeah, um, how squeamish you are, maybe. Uh, <laughs> uh, I won't go into much detail on what the actual scenes are, but effectively, there are, there are two scenes that are normally interactive in the Xbox and PC version, that are made um, non-interactive in the PlayStation version. But you still see what happens. You just don't get to do do the actions, you would say. Um, and then there's one, uh, and I think they call it this, the, the final scene in the game that is completely cut from PlayStation. Um, and the final scene? I think this so I think this the, the final scene. Yeah. So, and of course... I suppose the, 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 the usual argument that's, that's sort of brought up in these, uh, in these talking points um, is the, the act of censorship of the, I suppose, the artist's, artist's vision, vision for what they wanted, sort of thing. Now, you can, you can see these scenes. Um, I think there's, there's a couple of sites. I know you can think Eurogamer and Video Game Chronicles um, have them up. Separate, separate from the game, so you can see see what these scenes are. Um, having watched them, I'd say the first one's not actually that bad. The, I mean, the first one is still fairly fairly bad. Um, no, the, the second hard, one. It's hard was... to talk about this without going into like proper details, but I don't want to spoil spoil things. Um, plus. Where, you know, this is a PG kind of <laughs> podcast. It's just not really want to go into those kind of details, but it's it's what it's going to be one of those games that I think um, I think the reviewer for it on uh, Video Game Chronicles, Chris Sullivan, I think it is. Um, he he mentioned to her that it's going to be one of those games that is is going to be very divisive on how much you think games can push the line, sort of thing to tell a story because the, the game is kind of it, it does tackle quite some you know heavy stuff you know there's um sexual abuse mental abuse uh, mental health physical abuse death um other and i think i saw a couple of well. swastikas in there just to um, show my edge well there's that as well i mean the game is set in uh, in world war Two um around that era so there's a reason for the swastikas, um, but it's it's one of those, it's going to be one of those games that will will always kind of be brought up in terms of like interactive media and how much do you really kind of push the the envelope sort of thing like how far can you go to make it justifiable in the context that it's set in. Uh, in my opinion, anything is justifiable mm. when you tell the story because that's life. And this game's been put forward as an 18. No, if, well, there is that as well. If you're not willing to play it, if you, when I buy a game, I'll look into the premise of the game. 
before mm -hmm. I buy it. And other people I imagine will do the same. So you're not going to stumble across this if you're not quite sure what the content is and buy it and play yeah. it and be like, oh, this is going to traumatise me for life. I think yeah. people, are, people should be savvy enough today to know what they're getting into before they actually do it. I mean, this is the whole point of classifications, though, isn't it? I mean, that's why we have age ratings on film. Well, yeah, yeah. Because it's like, not about it's not about censoring the film. It's about what audience is supposed to see these. Yeah. The argument with computer games. Well, that's it. Yeah. The argument with video games is, is that oh, it's all the war for kids. It's like, what well, the kids going to play? Is that no? Stop being an idiot. Yeah. Well, video... I mean, the, the 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 actual branding from the developers were like, look, this is an adult game. Kids should not play this game. But we, you know, they should be able to tell an adult story within interactive yeah. media. Yeah. You know, so it's, uh, I mean, the game is not being completely censored. So it's not like, you know, they're not selling it at all. It's just how much, how much censor censoring should there be guarded by, you know, those who, you know, on Sony's platform, like, should, should it be up to them? To, to censor it could they not because i think as well on the on the actual full version of the game i think there is um i don't know if it's like a saying or like when you start the game yeah you um, do get the option to choose yeah the option to censor parts of the game for yourself if you don't want those kind of parts like i think it, it's it, it does sell censor itself there that i do think it takes the last bit out the like the last kind of scene but um, in the end, it's it's Sony forcing a change upon the developer, which I don't yeah. like. Mm, if yeah. the, let's just say the developer creates their own vision of the game, and that's obviously the one going on Xbox and PC, Sony should just either say, "All right, we'll have it," or "We won't have it," based on well, well that's whatever. it. Yeah. Not change it, and then we'll put it on. Unless the developer just decided, "All right, we'll we'll just make this change because we want to for you." Yeah. But I, if I was that developer, I wouldn't have accepted that. I would have just said, right, no, this, this is my game. This is our vision. This is what we're doing. Yeah. Well, I think it's, but it's, it's difficult as well, isn't it? Because you want, you want your game to be on as many platforms as possible. Well, know, yeah, but is it, same, is... is it the same game? That's the point. Mm. Well, I think, I think to a certain extent, I, I do think the, the things that are changed from what, from what I can gather, like that last scene, I don't think makes too much difference to the story it's, it's, i think it's more of a ex, there's more of a backstory to the protagonist that you're playing as maybe protagonist right. is probably the wrong word potentially but just character and obviously the two other scenes that were interactive are non-interactive so it doesn't well it, i i don't want to say it, it changes much it changes the way that you approach the scene, because obviously for PC and Xbox, you have to do the actions, which obviously then gives them. Uh, it's a different I, sense of I like how you. Weird. I find that weird though when we live in like a day of <clears throat> an age of like Call of Duty, you can run just shooting people. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but they, they just try and cross that as like as a a different style of. Just, I just find it nonsense. <laughs> I think it's going back to a similar conversation that we had when GTA first came out with the torture scene because you yeah, were yeah. controlling what was happening during that scene. Yeah. But again, it's that's the developer's vision. And well, that's it. Like it's it's the 
I'm sure it's same to Toshi as well. It's those scenes are designed for the player to feel uncomfortable doing what they're doing. Yeah. And that 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 should be how it is. Like not everything is like, oh yeah, run, shoot, jump. We, we'll allow films to this do feels that. cool. Yeah. I so, mean I've yeah. seen some absolutely terrible well not terrible, but um I'm trying to find the words. Graphic things that have just made me stop in my tracks and like question what I'm actually experiencing. Yeah. And I think that's what this game's doing I mean, in its I mean, original form. It should have done what it did with um, Call of Duty. Which one was it? Was it Modern Warfare 2? Was it? The No Russia one. Oh, yeah, No Russia. Remember, No Russia. Yeah. Where well, you don't have the option. To yeah, you don't have to. So you, you have to take part in this atrocity, basically. Mm. It makes you feel incredibly uncomfortable. But you have the option to skip it. Oh, it yeah, gives you yeah. that option at the beginning. It's like we have graphic disturbing content. Do you want to pass this? Yeah. Just, just have something. Like well, that. I think that's what that's what the game has though as well. Like it, it does have that option of like. You if you the, don't on, want to do these bits. Yeah, but on the PlayStation bit, it won't do that. Oh yeah, no, no. It'll just have the cut bits. Yeah. That should just be a, a, a thing all way. Mm. If you don't want to do this, then yeah, have this version, or it'll play out this way. But I don't like. I don't like. Decision breakers being made outside of the developers' hands. Mm. Yeah, I think that should be all or nothing. Argument, so. Yeah, I'd agree with you, Mark, on that one. No, I think I agree as well. I think uh, developers should be allowed to tell a story in the way that they want the players to experience it. Mm. So otherwise, then what's the point? Yeah, exactly. So, we stick with PlayStation. Uh, they revealed the. The design of PSVR 2, didn't they? Oh, sorry. Play, PlayStation VR 2. You, yeah. have get the full, you have to get the full title in there. Yep. They didn't reveal a whole lot of new things about it, but they just showed off what it looked like, didn't they? I'd say, I pretty do much. think it looks pretty bland, <laughs> I'll have to say. I don't know. It's very Oculus Quest 2. Yeah. I, I don't know how... Uh... I don't know how you design it. To be honest, I don't <laughs> know how you can make it exciting, but... Yeah. I just so how do you describe it? So it's white, pretty much, with four black dots on the front on the sides, which I presume are the cameras. Yeah. And it's got a little etching of the PlayStation logo on the left hand side. That's pretty much it. And then it's got a wire sticking out the back. Oh yeah. yeah. yeah, got yeah the wire. Back left hand side. And that's for the Matrix bit. <laughs> that's for the Matrix. Yeah. This goes into the back of your skull. <laughs> I think it just looks a bit less interesting because obviously on the other, the first PSVR, you've also got the lights on you, so it yeah. made you look like you were in Daft Punk. So <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. I think it just made you look daft, less punk. Maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, but they did announce something. They said um, it will include a vent to allow for airflow and to stop lens fogging. That personally, I never, I never experienced lens fogging. Neither of you. Uh, I, I did a bit. I did a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. more for you, Mark, was having something to make it feel more comfortable when you were wearing glasses. Yes, this, but well, they've not actually, unless I've not seen it, I've not seen anything mentioning it, any improvement on that, because that oh, was my that was my biggest fault with the PSVR, is that so you had this adjustable thing where you pull it forward, but then it pushed it back, it fell back when you were mm-hmm. wearing it, and so it just pushed the glasses onto my face, digging them into me, and so I was just worried that they were just going to end up breaking. It was, like, it was always just constantly this 
digging like top of my nose and it's just really not comfortable but i know the oculus the quest has well the quest 2 has a little insert that you could add inside it that just extends it so it just allows a bit more room yeah I'm just, just looking at, like that. I'm just looking at an overhead view of the um, PlayStation VR 2, and there does look to be a lot of space in the lens area before you get to the lenses, so hopefully okay. that should be okay for you. I can also see what looks to be a dial at the back, so I think that might be something to do focusing, potentially. Well, they had that on the original, isn't they? So you had a, a yeah, dial that, that um, adjusted the headset to come closer to your eyes, sort of thing. Yeah. But was, that was the thing, it was either too far away or too close. That was my problem. So, I, so if I had it that, I got my glasses in, but I could just see outside. Yeah. <laughs> which was pointless, because then you're not immersed in it. But then you move it one step forward and then it's too close. And it's jabbing me in the eye. It's like, mm, I don't know. Just, just sort it out, Sony, please. I'll I'll th- think of all of those. <laughs> I do like the look of the controllers, though. I mean, it's a real step up on what we had with shoehorning the PlayStation Move controllers in yeah, to the cool. original yeah. PSVR. It's good that they're going to have the haptic feedback as well. So that'd be interesting to see how they use that. Yeah, and the, and the motor in the in the headset as well. I say they've got the feedback there and as well, so that'd be cool. Just get headshotted, get whiplash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Headset just like forces your head back, like. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a bad back as it is, Sony. Don't do this to me. Yeah. Or <laughs> I got back problems. Stop it. <laughs> That'd be me. I'd just have five minutes of call of duty with you guys. What's that map that you like again, Mark? Shipment. 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 Yeah. That was it. Yeah. <laughs> and I'd just be dying That'd be on terrible for that and be off call of duty. Just get those um, squib vests as well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think um, Sega has feeling like the shorts on my chest. <laughs> where, it, where it sent like a <coughs> electrical current to make it felt like you'd been shot, for example, or hit. Oh, nice. Well, I would not be about that. No, no, that's not for me. But I can't wait to see what launch games they're going to come out for it. And well, we've got the Horizon one, haven't they? The, um, yeah. I forgot what it's called now. Is it Call of the Mountain? I think it was called something like that. Yes. They announced them. I don't know. There was, <laughs> I'm sure there was another. VR game that was announced, uh, but I can't remember what it was. All I want from it is backward compatible for. Yeah, this PSVR is the thing. That's all I want. Yeah. So many PSVR games I've bought. I get to play the games how they should not be played. I <laughs> difficulty playing them. Uh... But the thing is, they've not announced it, so I'm inclined to believe well, it's not going to happen. Then we can always hope that developers port their games themselves. Mm, probably only like the bigger games, you know, Resident Evil Seven and all that. I'm not gonna I mean, I know you are. <laughs> oh, no. I don't think I'd want to do that. I've seen a bit I, of footage of people ten, playing it. I played it. 10 minutes of it, and the atmosphere enough was like, actually, this is too scary now. <laughs> I don't want to buy a new box of shorts. If I don't get my job simulator on PSVR 2, I'm going to be bitterly disappointed. <laughs> Literally, your job simulator, so you go to your work and everything. Because yeah. <laughs> then I don't actually have to go to work. I'll take that. That's the future. In the metaverse. That's it. Yeah, let's move on from that. <laughs> well, we'll stick with you, uh, PS5. Now, according to the Metro, an analysis of search queries suggests that the UK has more people desperate to get hold of the PS5 than anywhere else in the world. Hmm. 
A study of internet search data suggests that the UK demand for the PlayStation 5 console is the highest in the world with four... This, to be honest, this doesn't really sound like much, though. It says, uh, with 486 in every 10,000 Britons searching for it each month. France was in second place with 352 in every 10,000 people searching for the term, and the US was third with 259. The data was compiled by Repair Outlet and is more or less as we would expect, except that Japan doesn't appear anywhere on the list of top 20 countries. The only non-European or North American countries being Australia, New Zealand and Hong Kong. As well as 157 different countries, the study also drilled down to include 69 cities, nice, in the UK, to see where exactly the most demand was coming from. For some reason, Newry, I don't know if I pronounced that right, Newry, N-E-W-R-Y, in Northern Ireland, um, which was only made a city in 2002, was number one, with 24.6 searches per 1,000 people. Churro, or T-U-R-O, Turo, I've never heard of these places, was the most PlayStation 5-friendly city in England, on 243 per 10,000, with Stirling, the number one in Scotland, and fourth overall in the UK. However, no Welsh cities made it onto the list. So we want, we want our PS5s. Yeah, oh, it sounds like it. Mm. I mean, Sony's always had a really strong showing in Europe, so I'm not entirely surprised. And, well, America's got Xbox. So they always want to support their own companies. And I know Sony is a Japanese company, but it's the same with Japan and, well, Nintendo. They've got a closer relationship with them. So I can see where the stats have come from. Mm. But yeah, we want our PS5s. Well, oh well, we don't want the PS5s, but us as a nation do. Yeah. So, what's everybody's thoughts about um, FIFA potentially being renamed to EA Sports FC? It really rolls off the tongue, doesn't it? So we just call a spade a spade. Like, it, basically, what it comes down to is that EA just don't want to fork out one billion for the rights to FIFA. That's yeah. it. That's the end of it. I don't care what excuse they want to come out with, that's it. Who wants to give FIFA one billion? But they're, they're, they're missing the point of FIFA is their brand. That is what people play. That's, you, you say to me, oh, do you want to play FIFA tonight? Do you want to play EA Sports FC tonight? I mean, that's really going to work, isn't it? I mean, you know, I can't see that really <laughs> taking off much, can you? People are still going to call it FIFA, though. Yeah, exactly. People are still... Mm. Or maybe that's what they're thinking. They're thinking, oh, they're still calling it FIFA and we'll save ourselves $1 billion. Yeah. Oh, why not? To be honest, like for the trademark, I can, I think a billion is a small price to pay. But the amount they get. Yeah. That's what it's been for the last three decades. And for the, well, and for the amount they get. Because us, we would know to look for EA Sports FC in the shops if we were looking for that game. But the, your average person buying FIFA for somebody's birthday, um, like your mum and dad, maybe, they wouldn't really know to find yeah. EA Sports football. They'll think, what the heck's this? Yeah, non-gamers know what FIFA is. As simple as that. So what is their actual, what was their, what's their actual excuse for not wanting to do it? I mean, I've told you what I know. What is their actual No, well, I'm sure they've got some weird corporate thing saying what their actual excuse is. Well, so far they've said that EA itself is has recently said that it's reviewing our naming rights agreement with FIFA. So nothing's set in stone as yet. But Well, I mean, there, there was there was other stuff as well, wasn't there? Because I think uh, the internal, I suppose, email or communication that had come out um, believed that all the, I suppose, new ideas that they wanted to implement and then updates they wanted to do, um, they just couldn't do it because... New ideas. 
new Coin. ways to microtransactions. Well, yeah, there's that. Let's be honest. Uh, <laughs> That's what it is. Well, yeah, but I mean, this, I mean, why this would is what Fe- they why said, would, wasn't it? Because so. yeah, why would FIFA just say, "No, you can't have that idea"? <laughs> what would the what would the reason for them well, saying that? According to them, uh, FIFA is limiting their game, so you can only have eleven v eleven game modes. What about Volta? Well, who's he? Who's he? <laughs> I mean, you could say that as as a, as a recent thing. Um, well, that is, that is what football is. So, yeah, I mean, I know, what, but like, what like, would they be looking to do? A fifty versus fifty battle royale, FIFA? <laughs> free to play? That'd be amazing, though. That's I mean, nice. maybe not free to play, but like, I'd I'd be up for uh, doing battle royals, like let the last one to uh, score a goal gets eliminated, and you just yeah. keep on going around. That'd be wicked. You should, you should, uh, you should be, you should be on board for a year. <laughs> yeah, I can think of so many ways we could micro transaction the heck out of this. Yep. You, know, um, you know what sure I want? You know, you know, what I actually, if what I would like to see return, I don't think they've had it since '97, '97, I think, is indoor football. Yeah, that were cool. Yeah, I, mean, I really enjoyed it. the indoor football. Yeah, they had that on World Cup '98 game as well, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah? Okay. Like Masters football, that kind of thing. Yeah. That's what I want. Yeah. Yeah. I want that. Um, I want them to actually care about pro clubs. Walter's <laughs> a poor man's version of that. Yeah, pro clubs. Yeah. Fix that. Still, that's, 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 that's a prime ago. mode to monetize if they really wanted to. No, Matthew. You know, no. Get competitions out of it. <laughs> no. If you want to, if you want to update your case for new badges and new shapes and stuff, put money. <laughs> That's it, and you can buy. You, you want these stat boosts? And points. Here's That's some it, more yeah. money. <laughs> double XP, double XP um, packs and stuff. Well, how about just fix your effing XP progression system because it's rubbish. It's rubbish. Like you, you grind so much for just two skill points. So what are you going to do with that? I'd already be like ranked ninety by now oh. on like the last FIFA. I'm still like eighty six. Like, what is this? Get good. It doesn't, doesn't, uh, doesn't really bother me if if everybody else is the same. No, it doesn't bother me. If everyone else is going to have a terrible play, they will have a terrible play as well. But they're probably not, because like, we, we don't play it regularly, do we? And do we? So other teams that have probably already announced about 2,000 sort of regular. Well, no, but we, not, we don't dedicate our lives to it, shall we? You sure about speak, that? Speak for yourself. <laughs> I brought 400 hours into that game last year. All right, two of us don't spend our lives on, on the game. Hey, I've seen you playing a cheeky career mode, Matt. It's going to happen. Yeah, that quickly stopped soon. <laughs> anyway, I think we're going off on a tangent there. Pretty much. But, yeah, I, I think, in my opinion, I, I don't see how the name FIFA has kind of limited them in how they build the game in any way. I don't know. <clears throat> I think it's BS. But... It's excuse. And that losing the FIFA brand would probably hurt them. It's probably going to hurt them long term. So I think they should just pay the money and keep it going. Um, so this is interesting because I, I thought about this with the FIFA branded that I feel like more short term it would hit them. But we've seen other franchises that have gone to change name and haven't really suffered. Like you look at something like well, EA fo- football. I don't want to say eFootball, but we'll say Pro Evo first, because what it was beforehand was 
International Superstar Soccer, and then and then they changed the name to ISS Pro Evolution, yeah. and then eventually dropped the ISS. So, and they yeah. started doing well with it. So I think I think short term it's going to be more of a a big hit, but once people start recognizing that oh, EA Sport FC rubbish is is actually FIFA, then they're going to be like okay, we'll, we'll start picking that up because they've still got the licenses. The only thing they've dropped is. The it's the name, yeah. It's, they still have the licenses, which is the important. Well, they've got bit. still got over three hundred trademarks, and that's what makes me. Well, well, that's it. That's what made me pick FIFA over Pro Evo back in the day because I didn't mm. want to play with Manchester Blue FC or whoever the heck Man City <laughs> were. I don't know. I was a Pro Evo lad when I grew up because I knew it was the better football game, but then we started getting worse, so <laughs> switched over to FIFA. Not look back since. You don't mind if I uh, swing this back over to, to PlayStation for a bit? So we've got uh, we've got a little bit more news about um, PlayStation's supposedly um, Game Pass competitor um, to Xbox. Um, so if I if I go off the article that's on VGC, according to I think it's Jeff Grubb at VentureBeat. Apparently, the PlayStation's upcoming in-development Game Pass competitor project, Spartacus, is pretty close to actually launching, according to, uh, according to Jeff. He's saying here that it's getting pretty close to actually launching. Something's probably going to happen by the end of this month. And I don't think that necessarily means publicly. I think in terms of the internal milestone of where the service needs to be. Um, according to the journalist, Spartacus will be comprised of three tiers, priced at up to $16 a month. So at the moment, they've got essentially these three tiers. Uh, one is going to be called Essential, uh, which is going to be priced at $10 a month. The next one is Extra, which is going to be at $13 a month. And the top tier is going to be called Premium, which is looking at the $16 a month. It kind of goes on to say for Premium, $16 a month, do you get the full games? Not really, kind of. It's like EA Play. Um, you get full game trials. Uh, I don't know if that's for every single game that comes out, but it seems like that. But we're also potentially looking at, you know, getting the classic games um, streamed into, I'm not sure which one of the tiers. Um, but, I mean, if they if they do all this and, and they start bringing, you know, PlayStation 1, PlayStation 2 classic games into it, um, I think they could they could really test Microsoft um, on their subscription. I don't know what you guys think about it. Well, when you say about the premium one not getting full games, it doesn't seem very premium to me. No, no. Um, but this is the thing. I, I don't. I, th- I think we we talked about this before um, outside the podcast. That don't know if Sony can really do what Microsoft can with their AAA in-house titles of like as soon as they release that on Game Pass, you don't have to like pay for it. You just get it. I don't know if that's something that Sony can really combat. Yeah. But, I mean, offering trials is probably the next best thing. You know, give like a hour, two-hour trial. If you like it, cool, you'll purchase it. If you don't, fair enough, you give it a go. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned just like the EA Play <laughs> stuff. You you always got like a yeah. a 10-hour trial of FIFA before anybody else got to play it or before its release, generally. Mm-hmm. So that'd be good. Because it kind of whets your appetite for games that are upcoming and gives you a kind of a view of what they're going to be like, so you know if you actually want to go and buy them or not. So if they did that for the first party, 
triple A stuff, that'd be good. Mm, yeah. Just looking further sort of into the into the article, it looks as though the so the the essential um, tier, so the mid tier, is kind of what is PS Plus now, kind of like monthly games and whatnot. I, I wonder what they'll do with PS Now once this comes out. Whether they they continue with it or is it's it going to get absolved? Yeah, they're going to they're going to get rid of it. I think. Mm. Because they'd be too convoluted because you've got PS Plus, PS Now, this new tiered system. It'd just be too fragmented, in my opinion. So, from what it looks about it as well, on the... Now, I don't know if this is the essential or the, the premium tier, but, like, you'll the catalogue of games that you'll get, which I think is sort of the PS Now, you won't need to stream them. You will be able to download them. Good. So that's the difference with PS Now, isn't it? That you, you have to actually stream the games. So if you're not got a brilliant internet connection, that's worthless. Mm-hmm. So just like me. You're not worthless. You're awesome. Oh. Don't know where I was going with that, but uh, <laughs> I don't know. It'll be good to see what they do with this, though. So fingers crossed, it can actually offer some competition for Microsoft because I think they do kind of need it. The one thing I'm not totally sold on is my monthly fees going up for pretty much the same service on the mid-level package. Yeah. We'll have to see how they do the actual pricing next to PS Plus. Did you guys catch the, the little countdown that Capcom did over the last week or so? I heard about it. I heard about and then it. Then everybody yeah. guessed what it was. Well, <laughs> well uh, yeah, I suppose. Uh, <laughs> so... I can't remember exactly the day that it started, but basically Capcom started doing like a little live countdown on uh, on their website. And I think if every Capcom fan was starting to throw their own guesses out. Um, obviously, if you're a Street Fighter fan, you're probably asking for Street Fighter. If you were Resident Evil, you're probably wanting some on the Village DLC, maybe. Um, and if you were any other fan, I'm sure you were looking for your kind of content. Um, but it did coincide with a, a Capcom fighting tournament. So there's probably a little bit more clue into Probably kind that. of where we were going with on that one. <laughs> uh, so of course, once the calendar down finished, um, it actually got stuck on it got stuck on one minute. No, sorry, it got stuck <laughs> on one. It got stuck on one hour. It didn't finish until the Capcom fighting tournament had concluded, and then. The, like the the host of it was like, and now we're going to give you a couple of announcements from Capcom. <laughs> so it didn't quite hit the. Uh, so what was the problem. point of the time? <laughs> to hype everybody up, yeah, obviously. So that, that was a bit unfortunate, but um, we got two announcements out of it. Um, so the first one that we got, which was probably not as interesting as the second one, um, was the announcement for a Capcom Fight Collection game. Um, so this puts together a collection of 10 classic fine games from Capcom's library, um, which seems to include quite a good number of Darkstalkers games, um, which is probably like their second or third most popular fine series, but it's not really had an update for a while. Um, so there's there like five of those. Um, there's other ones. Then there's one that was called Red Earth, which seemed like a fantasy kind of fine game. Had like a red line of a sword fine, which is interesting. We had something called Cyberbots Full Metal 
Madness, um, which just seems like a mech fighting game. Um, and then you had a couple of classic Street Fighter games. There was the Super Puzzle Fire 2 Turbo. So that was their like little puzzle fire hybrid game. Um, and then you had Hyper Street Fighter 2 as well, which is like, I think I read something like the first time Hyper Street Fighter 2 had been ported, I think. I can't be too sure. Some people cared about that, but I think a lot more people were interested in the second thing that got announced, um, which was probably predictably going to be Street Fighter 6. So we got a little teaser of that. We get to see um, what is now known on the internet as Hot Ryu. Uh, of course, because internet. Because uh, he's, you know, he's, he's got his gear off, uh, the top of his gear off, and he's got beards, so of course he's going to be hot. And Sounds more like Hipster Ryu than anything else. Hipster Ryu, yeah. Uh, he was also wearing sandals. Apparently, it's the first time in serious history that he's worn some sort of footwear. Wow. He's moving uh, up in the world. Yeah, yeah. He's got go. shoes. Got shoes, yeah. So uh, he, he he started flexing some muscles. I was actually, this was actually a quite interesting part of the trailer scene, like how the muscles flex and stuff, because I don't think we've ever kind of seen that in a, a game engine before. That was quite interesting. But he was going up against uh, a new character that got introduced in Street Fighter Five. He was like the last character who was kind of touted as the future of Street Fighter. It's called Luke. Um, he seemed a bit... The future of Street Fighter, and that's his name. Luke. Yep, Luke. He's <laughs> <laughs> really anti-climat. Um, we didn't get real much other than sort of like a standoff between them, and then we saw the logo. Um, and that was pretty much it. So we didn't get any announcements on platforms. Is this going to be a PlayStation exclusive again? Perhaps not, because there's, there, there was a hist- there's a history of five that apparently it was in a lot of trouble and they needed funding for it. So apparently Sony stepped in and said, we'll help you if you keep your stuff on our platform, basically. But I think uh, I'd like to expect this is this will come back to more platform. Another interesting thing is that it looks like it's using the RE engine. Because the characters looked a lot more realistic than than your typical. Yeah, I was gonna say a lot of people are like comparing it to like Tekken. Yeah, it's uh, you could probably compare it to um, the more combat games as well because they're mm. like hyper realistic. So it's got that kind of blend of realistic and still kind of an anime look to it. Because um, Ryu still got his silly eyebrows, so uh, <laughs> but it looks interesting. Um, the most talk out of the trailer that I think came out of it was how their logo looks terrible. Yeah, I saw something about this on social media. Um, yeah, it's, was it something about like it's, it's like some stock logo? Yeah, so so the, there's there's an article I think uh, it might be Eurogamer or it might be Kotaku actually. Um, there's a guy on Twitter who said this this looks like um, an Adobe stock image for that you can get for eighty dollars. And you can see the comparison between both of them hmm. and they look very similar. I think um, the only difference is that I think some some of the corners were just a bit rounded. Yeah, so, so, some of the some of the corners on the S and F are rounded, the um the, the I suppose the F pointy middle bit is like folded down. Um and the octagon itself is, is a bit thinner as well, the lines. And obviously you've got some stupid Splat six on it in the corner for some reason. So I don't think Capcom will get in trouble for this because if it is from a stock image, and it's just lazy. It, that's what it is. Isn't it? Well, it's lazy, yeah. <laughs> but if they bought it, then they can do whatever they want. The image. It's not. 
it's not Resident Evil 4 all over again. Um, but it's just, it's very like, mm, that's the best you could do for six. I mean, I can see why you're doing the Archon, six size, clever. Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, MG's. Yeah, to me, I mean, it looks like a bootleg like MG logo. Um, <laughs> but it's just like, you, you could have done anything with the logo and you've done this. Capcom's going to Capcom sometimes, so. Could still change it. They could do. If they see that there's a lot of uproar about how terrible it looks, then yeah. I hope they do get to change it. Do you know what? I don't think they should change it. Sod everybody. This is their vision. This is what they want to do. <laughs> yeah. Look, if if we can if we can change Sonic the Hedgehog, we can change Street Fighter Six, right? No, I'm still appalled by that. We, we I have, want the original right. no, version. No, we that should have been any any extra. Exactly, Mark. I want to see that in 4K and be horrified. Well, talking about Sonic. Uh, it was actually announced by Sega uh, that following on from the second film, which is out in April this year, it's pretty close. Mm. I'm sure we'll go and see it. Oh, no, I will. I know. Uh, <laughs> uh, a third, well, yeah. So, a uh, third film's already been greenlit. Not even going to wait to see how successful the second one done. It's going to be the best video game movie ever. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> But along with that, we're going to get a live action series as well. Uh, it's all going to be based on Knuckles the Echidna with um, Idris Elba reprising his role. So, could be interesting. Or at least for me. Is Why it going to be in a costume? No, voice no, acting. Voice acting you nutty. Ah, oh, right. <laughs> costume. <laughs> you do know he's in a new film, right? You know his voice. He's not into himself in a costume, mate. No, but it's going to be live action. Oh, well, there's going to be live, live action. CGI, aren't they? <laughs> when I hear live action, I'm, I think it's going to be actually there. Yeah, oh. he's, he's just going to be spinning around the floor. <laughs> you think it's going to be someone like, like they do at London Marathon where they wear this sort of costume? <laughs> exactly. Idris That's is going to be wearing it. one of those. Yeah, he's just dressed up as knuckles. <laughs> To be fair, that would, that would make like a fun series of like an insane man think he's he's some sort of video game character just running around London. Um, well, question: Why does he why does he get a series then? Why does so Sonic has these films, but then he gets his own series? Why? Because it's Idris Elba, obviously. Well, yeah, come on. Well, yeah, he should get his own film. <laughs> uh, if you, I don't. I, don't I would have thought it. you would have. There, I would have thought you would have waited until this film's come out, see what the reaction to his character is, and then decide whether to have a series. I think they saw the reaction that they got from the trailer, and it, they probably just heard, oh, they, they like his voice, I'm going to keep him. <laughs> well, there's quite a lot of lore to Knuckles, with like the Chaos Emeralds and that kind of stuff. So there, to Yeah, there's a lot of that. lore that you could dig in with Knuckles. So, Plus, you can explain stuff from like, what happened in the first film, like at the start, and why... There was, there was a, a tribe of echidnas trying to kill Sonic. <laughs> so they they could do a lot with it if you know not the law of um, Nicholas Echidna. But I don't know. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'll, I'll like to see what they'll do with it. Maybe they get a bit of Jim, Jim Carrey in there as well. I'll be happy. I just can't get over Idris in a Knuckles costume. That's all I can think about. <laughs> <laughs> you brought it up. <laughs> Swinging back to, to lowly developers that are known as EA. They had a bit of a, an, an eternal, I suppose, meme about the, the performance of 
how well Battlefield 2042 did. Um, <laughs> it went badly meeting the Jets. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, I mean, there's there's some things that were talked about it, about like, you know, they, they knew it did poorly. Um, and we're looking at sort of options. I, think, I don't know if Free to Play got mentioned this, but one funny tidbit that, uh, that I took from, from that meeting is that they they seem to blame, or at least partially blame, uh, the post sales of Battlefield 2042 to, to the release of Halo Infinite. Well, you can see where they're coming from. I mean, I could see it, but... They make a crap surely, game, so it's Halo Infinite's fault. Well, this is it. It's like, surely they knew the game that they're releasing was not going to be re- received very well. And yet, they, they're just like... It's like um, it's like school grounds silliness. Oh, it's his fault. It's Halo's fault that we did, did, didn't did do so well. Like, what? No, Halo was just a bit polished game than yours. Well, that was too... well, Halo Infinite didn't get a fantastic reaction either, did it? I mean, it got a better reaction. I, I thought it, it can't be much I worse. The, well, I thought the, re- the reaction to the multiplayer coming out was that it was a polished game. Content-wise, maybe lacking, but the actual gameplay side of it was solid enough. I've had mixed reports, but... Okay. But it's better. But let's be honest, it is better than. Well, it's it's better than whatever <laughs> EA did. So and it's a silly excuse to come out with. Well, that's it, isn't it? It's like, it's like I I hope you did this when you when you when you did like the mean for Timefall two and you blamed yourselves for that. Yeah. <laughs> so otherwise, <laughs> I just I just, I just I seem like a silly silly excuse as to why your game's not done well. One, it was buggy. Two, it was just. So many features missing those from previous games. I think at the end of the day, they just tried to combat Halo Infinite by getting out as soon as they could to the game's detriment. And but now why? it's just come back to buy them rather than waiting a few months and getting it out when it's a. I mean, yeah, it would have been after Christmas, but it would have then had its own location and not had to combat but Halo it, as much. No, it's, to be quite honest, it should have waited a year with the amount well, of issues it's got. Yeah. But it's. <sighs> It's always this is always the issue with when it comes to Ian Battlefield. They always seem to want to release somewhere close to Call of Duty, and they've never, never been it in sales at all. As much as they're like, maybe Battlefield, we'll say one was potentially the better game that year, and maybe V, I don't know. But it, it, when you go against Call of Duty, it's just it's a bad time. You know what they could have done. They could have delayed it until 2023. Then there won't be a Call of Duty. Perfect <laughs> opening for them. No, well, no, because if that free-to-play zombie games come out, then nothing's been that, right? That was, that's mine oh, all day. <laughs> fair point. Plus it's free-to-play, so there's, it, unless they somehow say the next Battlefield's going to be free-to-play. <laughs> ah, it's just a silly, silly excuse. But unsurprising for me, let's be quite honest. Well, yeah. It's, it's always somebody else's fault. No. Whether it be Halo Infinite or the FIFA trademark, it's always somebody else's fault. <laughs> okay, so as we know, the long anticipated Elder Ring got released recently. Mm. And this is taken from Eurogamer. It says the CEO 
of a Japanese development studio, Pocket Pair, gave the entire team the day off so that they could play Elden Ring. According to a tweet from the company's official Twitter account, CEO Takuro Mizobe offered the paid Elden Holiday leave in recognition that staff will be unable to focus on work on the day from software's latest saga is released. Though not officially classed as a day off, staff also didn't have to come into work don't have to come into work on Monday either, so they could play until the late hours of Monday morning too. Why don't we have this sort of stuff? This is what we need. I respect that CEO. Yeah. Is, do you think it's because he just wanted to do it? <laughs> yeah. That's great, it probably is. And then if and then if someone found out it would have been a bit mm. Yeah, so just like, oh everyone just do it. Be fine. That's what that's what I'm gonna do this year. Just be like, ah, oh, can't come in. I've got Call of Duty eyes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's not where it stops with Elden Ring. So this is Ticket of a Video Game Chronicle. And Elden Ring publisher Bandai Namco has announced it will be making one hundred players. Official Elden Ladies and Lords as part of a competition. Oh, I heard about this. So this is in collaboration with Highland Titles. The publisher will give 100 winners a certificate to claim them an Elden Lady or Elden Lord. Uh, while the titles are said to be not the same as having a hereditary title, Highland Titles claims that they can be used on legal documents and light-hearted fun. Our customers have shared stories of everything from flight upgrades to, prefer- to preferential treatment, he claims. Each winner of Bandai Namco's competition will also receive a souvenir plot of land at the Highland Titles Nature Reserve near Glencoe in Scotland. The Highland Titles website offers plots of land ranging from one square foot to 100 square foot and claims that its customers obtain a personal right to their land, can visit their plot, call it their own, and essentially do what you're pleased with the land within the normal confines of law. However, because Highland Titles is owned by Charitable, Charitable Trust of Scotland, uh, the land can only be ever be used for the purposes of conservation. Entrants in Bandai Namco's competition can nominate someone else for the honour, be that a friend or family member. The competition runs from Friday, February 25th, and will end on Friday, March 11th. It's only open to entrants in the UK and Ireland, and entrants must be over 16. Uh, over 250,000 people have become lords and ladies of Glencoe via Highland titles, which sells the titles and pieces of land to help create nature reserves in Scotland. There you go. Fancy becoming a lord? Or a lady, if that's your thing. If I had the game, I'd be up for that. I mean, I, I, I guess there's nothing stopping you uh, taking part, even if you don't. Yeah, but yeah, that's true. Yeah. <laughs> All you have to do is email them. It says you have to email uh, eldenlord at bandainamcoent.eu and give a reason why you're, uh, why you're nominating yourself or somebody else. For the power, obviously. So that's that's going to be your reason, yeah. 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 <laughs> Provincial, the prestige, uh, the, the preference of uh, flight, flight things. <laughs> and then I'm going to go on flight simulator I'm, 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 and, and fly over my land. <laughs> you can use it on letters, for example, like if you are a lord. Oh, why not? Change it from Mr. to Lord. Yeah, I guess so. Yes, I'm definitely doing this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going in. I'm going in. Go for it. And I guess that's it for the news. Shall we get on to what we're currently playing? Yeah, let's do it. No, why not? Who's going to start? I'll begin. By all means. Go ahead. Thank you very much. So, um, for starters, I ended up completing Pokemon Legends Arceus. So, I had a really good time with that. Um, I've got to the end of the story, and now I'm going through the post-game trying to recatch any Pokemon that I didn't get, and find all the Wisps and a load of other stuff that you need to do post-game, which... 
Matt will be um, all too aware of. Mm-hmm. So at this stage, I've put 18 hours into it so far. I've got six stars. So, yeah, there's still quite a while to go in my journey. But no, in terms of the story, I've, I really enjoyed it. Like from start to finish, it was really good. It had some really good twists near the end that I enjoyed. And mm-hmm. yeah, for any Pokemon fan that's still on the fence about it, just buy it. Because it's a different experience, and in a lot of ways, a better experience than the normal mainline Pokemon games. So yeah, that's all I can say on that one. Uh, the next game that I've been playing, uh, one that we've all actually been talking about playing for quite a while um, in co-op, is the Division Two. So I decided to play the first bit of it so that I could at least get to a stage where we could start doing some co-op together at some point. So I, I did that. And I've started a couple of missions separately, um, and I'm actually quite enjoying it. It's the shooting is a bit slow paced than I'd like, but it can't all just be run and shoot, can it? Or or can it? But then I die anyway. <laughs> but it's it's not a bad game. I, I I like the premise to it, where there's been this like disease that's kind of like ravaged humanity, and kind of there's these pockets of uh, like safety zones and things it's kind of post-apocalyptic um i enjoy post-apocalyptic environments they just i don't know for some reason i just like it when society breaks down and <laughs> <laughs> it's a horrible thing Bit to morbid, say. All right. yeah like that's why one of the reasons why i like the last uh, of us and like games along that in that ilk they're looking to nathan's psyche either but yeah, I've I've been enjoying it. I've I've done okay so far. Not died just yet. So yeah, fingers crossed. I'll keep playing that, and then now we can all play it if we've all got it installed. Yeah. 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 Cool. and ready to go. Nice. So yeah, next time we all get on, we'll we'll have to give that a go. But speaking of the game that we normally play, FIFA, we actually got back to oh, playing yeah. that this week because it'd been a couple of weeks since we played because. Let's face it, last time was, well, the time before last was an absolute disgrace. I don't, I don't think we won a, won a game, did we? No, it was a disaster. It was, just it was a bit bad, yeah. I don't think I've been at a lowest point on FIFA. Like, I just felt destroyed internally. Mm. But this time we're better. We, yeah, we, we took some time game. away and we came back. Um, we're on the brink of promotion back to Division 3 now, so that's good. And I think we only, I didn't lose in one game, didn't we? So, yeah, not a bad showing, I don't think. I think we had seven games or something like that. Yeah, four wins, two draws and a loss. Yeah, something like that. That's about right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, hopefully next time we play, we'll be able to get that promotion that we were one kick away from getting in the last game. But, yeah, we won't talk about that. So, moving on to a new game that I've been playing. Um, this is one that I was surprised when I picked it up, because it's not normally a game type that I'd go for. It's a survival horror game. Ooh. Which shocked me. But I I liked the premise of it, because the premise of this game, it's set in the future, and it kind of... It's, it's got, it's entwined with like Norse mythology as well. So it's like a futuristic North, Norse mythology survival horror game, which sounds absolutely insane. Um, but anyway, I, I thought, yep, yeah, 13 quid. I'll pick it up. 
to see what it's like. So the game is called Absalov, End of Gods. So that's the game there. Okay. So this is absolutely terrifying. So it's basically a walking sim. And you wake up with this robot voice talking to you. And this robot voice has just got absolute contempt for you. It just wants you to die. Uh, there's no other way I can put it. And you, firstly, you go through like doing different things to basically show you the mechanics of the game. And at some point, you get to a point where you, you look at things normally in reality. But there's this second view that you can use to look at things you can't see with the naked eye. And that's one of the main mechanics of the game so that you can find things as you go through. Because I've woken up in like this area and I've got to try and like navigate myself through. And a lot of this, these areas are really dark. And you've got to find like, oh, what are they called? Like codes to open doors to get to the next bit. But as you do that, there's these people or creatures that just stand there. And if you run into them, they will attack you and try and kill you. And it's weird because they've got like these deer skulls on the heads as well. So they look really freaky. But so far in my gameplay, it's me trying to navigate myself around them. And if you look at the normal view, you can't see them because it's pretty much pitch black. But if you use your other view, then you can see them like the outline of them slightly. So you know where they are. So you're going to try and creep around them. But if they hear you because they've got pretty good hearing, they'll come and run after you. And when I first saw one of them, because I wasn't using the view that I could see them, I just walked into one, got attacked, and I allowed this big, massive, manly scream, as you can imagine. As you can imagine, and Lisa came running through and like, "Are you okay? Have you hurt yourself?" I'm like, "No, I'm just trying to play this game." Oh, it was horrible. And then at that stage, it reminded me of why I don't play survival horror games. But anyway, after the, after that first fright, I kind of ploughed on with it. Um, I think I'm about an hour so far. I don't think it's the longest game, so it's only like a four or five hour experience. And um, I'm trying to do it in drips and drabs because I don't want to have a heart attack. Because there was a bit of a, um, well, my granddad's had a heart attack. My dad's had a heart attack. So it's it's my turn next. And I don't want this game to do that. But other than it scaring the heck out of me, I'm quite enjoying it so far. Um, I've not got many of the... Uh, Norse mythology undertones yet, but I think I'll get that as I go further on in the game. But right now I'm just trying to get away from these horned human creatures that come after you and trying to find these codes to get through these doors to get to where I need to be and find out what the heck's going on. Because I think I'm that early in the game, I'm not not up on the story. This is actually a sequel to another game that I've not played. So, but it's it's interesting so far. But we'll see if I if I have the guts to complete that one. But yeah, that's that's all I've been playing, short and sweet. So what about you, Matt? Me, right? So I'll not mention any of the the regular stuff that I've been playing. Not got any interesting stories out of those. <laughs> so one, I want to say is is a new game that I've started. I, I can't remember if I've made a mention this on the podcast, but. I suppose so going starting to go through the, the series kind of one by one i have started up yakuza kiwami 2 mm. so if you don't know yakuza by now um you know you're playing the main protagonist um the 
the man with the sternest look in Japan, uh, Kazama Ki. Um, I don't think his expression ever changes for other games. I don't think it does, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very much just like, you know, eyebrows down, sure, very mean look. And uh, basically in this one, it, it follows off um, the events of, of the first game. So it's it's been a year since since that, and some sort of trouble in the Tojo clan family uh, brings Kuyu kind of all back to it, and he has to go back to Kamarocha and solve solve some solve some problems with the uh, with the yakuza. Basically, <laughs> but some but something in this game, and I think this is I think this is some of the the start with the sixth game is that I think with this game is it's all based on the new Dragon Engine that they brought in for Yakuza Six. And like playing it, like um, Camarocho just looks entirely different to what it, what it has done in like the previous games that I've played. So Yakuza Zero and the the first Kiwami. Like the streets are much bigger, lights, uh, all the shadows look a lot more detailed. Um, you can start going on certain roofs of buildings now, so that there's a lot more verticality to to Camarocho, which is quite interesting. Um, and then there's certain roads where like cars will drive by as well, which is kind of cool. It really, really like, makes the streets a lot more lively and feels like there's there's a lot of things going on. And some of that impressed me as well. They're like in in Zero and Kiwami One because they're, they're both on the same engine. On this one, when you when you go up to say like you know Club Sega at the arcades, normally you would you have to go up to the door, press X, you get a little bit of a black loading screen, then you go in, then you're in the building. Whereas in this one, you just walk up to the doors, push the door open, and you're already immediately in the building straight away. So it's like really cool. Um, I love how like how much more the the city feels a lot more live when you just can just walk straight in. It's just like yeah. oh, I don't have to, don't need to have some loading screen going on, which is cool. And then you know it, it's got its usual yakuza flair of silly, uh, not silly side stories, but some some are silly. Some are quite actually thoughtful and like what you do and stuff. Or well, how Kiryu sees the world, I should say. Which is quite cool. And they made changes to some of the, the minigames as well. So the, the only ones I've tried so far is darts, which is which is different. Because now all you have to do is kind of aim with the left stick. And then you've got like a, a power meter going up and down. And you have to like get into the middle to be able to hit where you've aimed at. Whereas like previously you had to kind of aim and kind of also use the right stick for like power and stuff which was interesting it's a little bit more immersive in how you do darts but this way is probably a little bit more easier <laughs> um the batting is still ferociously difficult for me for some reason <laughs> uh i just i don't get on with batting i don't know why but yeah batting is just not for me they've taken pool out of this one i'm very disappointed because I, I do like the pool one so have they put anything in um just try to think. I've not gone through all, all the mini games, but there's the, the usual. Some of the, the usual stuff is there. Like I think. Like karaoke is still. There. Um, obviously karaoke is still there. I, I've I've not tried it yet, but I've I've seen a video of what karaoke looks like, and it is a little bit different there as well. Whereas um, the prompts come across the screen a bit more like kind of like Guitar Heroes vibe, where they're like they're moving rather than you've you've got like the three bars. But you've yeah. just got to wait for the icon to kind of reach. Um, which I think will probably make it a bit easier. Because I, I found 
karaoke is sometimes a little bit difficult when uh, when you're anticipating to go on one line. Say like you had a slow speed on the previous line, suddenly it sped up. And you're like, oh yeah, god, yeah. I didn't know how quick that was gonna go. But yeah, I know there's karaoke there. I don't know if there's the disco dancing. I'll, I'll have to check. The videos are still there. You know the, the videos. Oh, the videos. Yes, the videos. I, know the, I know the videos. <laughs> yes, those videos. Uh, <laughs> although the uh, on this one you don't actually watch the video. Funnily enough, you just you get you get the mu- you get like the the sound from it, and Kiryu just kind of act reacting to it. <laughs> so you get to see what Kiryu is doing rather than <laughs> what's actually happening on the video, which is a bit interesting. Um, mm. But I've not I've not got too far into it. Maybe five six hours. But I've already kind of gone from Cameron Roadshow. Over to um, Soren, is it Soren Toby at Bori? Soten Bori, sorry. Um, the area that Majima has in Zero. You get to go in yeah. for a little bit as Kiryu. Oh, I think you can match match. Because there's the, they brought back the cabaret um, minigame into this one, which is pretty much carbon copy in, 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 in this one as well. Over there now, you compete in like. Um, Grand Prix instead of against other clubs. Oh, so right. there's like a, there's like a league of clubs that you have to like try and get to the top of basically. Uh-huh. So okay. interesting. interesting. Yeah, but no, enjoy enjoy my time with it. Um, the combat is similar, although there seems to be only the one style in this one and not the four that you could get in Zero and Kiwami, which is I think I think it's a bit of a step down, but I can sort of see. Like timeline-wise, they're, they're trying to make it as though, like, okay, now Kazuma is the, um, you know, the dragon of Dojima. Hmm. He only needs one style. He doesn't need other styles anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is a bit disappointing, but it's uh, it's interesting. So, no, just gonna go through that and join currently. So playing more of that. The only other game that that I've been playing <clears throat> these last two weeks, and I was gonna bring this up as a story as, as part of the news, but I thought it'd be better to. Bring in mind kind of what we've played, because I'm sure you probably played some of this as well, Mark, maybe. I don't know. But there was an update, a patch added to a year-long game that I don't think either of us has touched for quite a while, because we were waiting for the next-gen patch. Now the next-gen patch has finally arrived, and that is for Cyberpunk 2077. Finally, the next-gen versions have come out. Um, I'm going to tell you right now, I've not played it. You've not played it? Wow. No. I was playing it this morning. Oh, didn't mention that, did you? Uh, no. <laughs> well, I wanted to play it a bit more before I talked fully about it. Mm. But I have been playing it a bit. So, of what you've played so far, can you notice an improvement? I can, yeah. yeah. There's definitely an improvement graphically, for sure. Uh, it looks it looks really nice, the game, to be fair. Because it was interesting that on the um, notes that they released, it said, Alex could still suffer from the occasional frame rate. <laughs> I was like... Yeah, you what? can still, like, suffer frame rate dips. Mm. So, yeah, At least so I've been honest about it that time. But. Yeah, well, it's nice that they, they mentioned that. So there's, there's, there's two graphical modes to the game now. So there's the performance one, where um, it still looks really nice. Like, there's no, like, it's still looking like a PS4 game. It still looks really good. Um, and you're at 60 frames per second. So very constant 60 frames per second. I didn't Good. notice too much drops um, when I was playing it. Or there's the, the I suppose, the, the, the ray trace mode 
we add in the ray tracing and it seems to do drop to about 30 frames per second. And I was, uh, there was one room that I was in that I was, I was messing about with both modes because I wasn't, I wanted to see what it did kind of lighting wise and, and shadow wise. Yeah. And that there is a, a good, good difference once you've got ray tracing. But you can Ooh. definitely tell it in, in the frames per second. Like things do start to feel slower than normal. It's just like, oof. Mm. Ooh, I, I don't know if I, <laughs> I don't know if I want to play this game all in ray tracing mode. Yeah. So maybe like if, if I'm taking, Fours, I might slip it on and, and do it there, but <laughs> but no, um, no, the, the game plays really well. I thought I'd start again. Yeah, uh, yeah, when I play, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'd only played it. like a couple of hours in, beforehand, so I've made roughly kind of the same character. I've stayed as a street punk because I wanted to still experience that. Yeah, I'm going to side of it, mine. yeah, yeah, but it, it feels a lot, a lot better. Sorry, yeah, we did. No, sorry, Nathan. Yeah, we well, we all we all went down a different route, didn't we? Like you, you guys, I think got it before me. So I think like Mark's gone down the nomad, nomad sorry, route. Man. You've gone down the like corporal, corporal, route, um, and I've gone down like the street kid route. Um, so no, re- enjoying my time with it. Um, good. I think the shoeing, the shoe, shoeing's good. Not quite. Call of Duty, but it's it's also better than better than something like Rainbow Six Siege. But I mean, that's a design choice rather than um, being the bad sh- shoot mechanics. It's just more I prefer kind of run gun than they're not. Driving feels pretty good. Uh, I did have so the, the haptics were on um, when when the update started. Yeah, I was going to say they've they've done something with the haptics for this, haven't they? Yeah. So so there's um. So you get active feedback when you're shooting. So mm. when you're having to sort of aim and you know, pull the trigger on R2, there's a there's a feedback to that when you're shooting, which I don't like on in any shooting game ever. Didn't like it when it was in Call of Duty. I don't like that really. Uh, yeah, didn't like it in Call of Duty. Certainly didn't like it in Village when I had a shotgun. You you had to like squeeze the whole damn thing to uh, to shoot. So. I wasn't I wasn't too much of a fan of it, so I've, I've kind of already switched off. But I've heard there's there's feedback in the driving as well, um, which I've not tested. I might I might have to switch back on when I'm in a car or something just to sort of see how it feels. Yeah. But you know, if you if you want if you want ultra realism, you, you can have that if you want in your hands. And RSI as well. Uh, <laughs> but no, so far I've really enjoying it. Uh, graphically very good, frame rate solid. Uh, I've not run into any bugs as of yet, or glitches, not seen any floating forms or, or weird shenanigans going on. Oh, I did see someone, someone post on Twitter the, uh, the, the glitch that Jackie does, um, going through the, the, the locker before, before against the elevator. That happened again, apparently, for him. <laughs> So, it, sometimes you just, you know, sometimes you just can't do anything about it. It's, it's an open world game. It's, Bound to get something funny that happens. Yeah. But no, enjoy it so far, and um, can't wait to sort of jump back in. We're good because I'm off work for a week, a week after next, because I've just got to use my annual leave up, and I know what I'm doing during that. <laughs> when when do you work? I swear you always have days. <laughs> no, it's because it's I've just saved all my <laughs> annual leave. I've just, it's just excess that I need to use by the end of the month. No reason to use it, you're just accumulating it till the end yeah. of the year. Well, not being able to go anywhere, but. Well, anyway. well, true. No, that's what I've been playing. So, jolly good. Yourself, Mark. Okay, well, mine's going to take uh, 
various directions. Because first I'm going to start, I'm going to talk about something that I bought, a hardware piece of hardware. Then I'm going to talk about something I've watched, and then I'm going to talk about what I played. So, first of all, we've all, you know, we all, we've all got the PS5, haven't we? And we all know the struggle, that it's only got one terabyte. Ooh. The struggle is real. Ooh, yes. Okay. Yeah. So you can, you can fit about, like, maybe three games on it, perhaps. That's probably your limits. Because let's be honest, it's not even one terabyte, is it? It's about 670 gig that you've actually got to use. Mm. Well, I, had to, uh, I had to uninstall Marvel's Avengers for, uh, for Cyberpunk, so... No, that was a massive loss. <laughs> so I've I've got a, an external R drive, so that's what I put all my PS4 games on. But obviously, as we know, you can't play your PS5 games from it. You can store them on it, but you can't play them from it. Mm-hmm. So I went and bought an internal hard drive. So oh, I've got, yes, so I've got a WD Black SN850 2-terabytes. Ooh, splashing the cash mark. Yeah. And it is actually two terabytes. I checked it, which is... Is that great. the one with the internal fan as well? Uh, it's got the heatsink. Well, yeah. I said I need the heatsink. So. Yeah, it's got the heatsink with it. Now, not cheap, but could have been more expensive, to be honest, because the recommended retail price for this was about 500 quid. <laughs> I got it for about 250. Which, in the grand scheme of things... No, but in the grand scheme of things, it's actually not that bad. No, it's not that bad. Because the amount of usage I'm going to get out of it is going to be incredible. That'll be. Yeah. So I only uh, installed that yesterday. Works really good. It's the speeds of transferring very quick. So I transferred. Uh, I had Ghost of Tsushima on my external drive, which I, on my so obviously the drive I couldn't play from, but it was stored on there. It was really quick moving it from that straight to that. Hmm. It's really good. No guns. Games run great off it. No complaints. Um. Slightly a bit fiddly in order to get it in there. Yeah. yeah, it's not it's not difficult. <clears throat> it's just a bit fiddly. Mm. So of course, this is where you got to take off the plates off your PS5. Ooh. Now, when you t- so this is the first time I've ever taken the plates off my PS5. I've never done it before. So you have to flip it upside down. So it's the it's the one with the so it's got the disk drive facing upwards. That's right. where you install this. Now I saw like things online telling you that you grab like two corners of your PS5 and then you slide them off. I'm telling you right now, don't do that because you're going to end up pulling your PS5 off the table onto the floor because I came very close to doing that. <laughs> do not do that. What you want to do is you want to turn it so the top is facing away from you. So you look at it vertically. Grab the top right corner and just hold the bottom corner and slide it vertically towards yourself. That's the best way to get it off, trust me, because otherwise you'll end up throwing it all over the place. It just slides, and then all you got to do is this little grey, I don't know, cover. That's on. You just need to unscrew that, turn it off, take your card or whatever it's called, and just slip it in. It's got like some connectors. Slip it in, and then you just need to take a screw that's already in there and move that to the position because there's you can fit different sized ones inside the PS5. So you just it's whichever one it lines up with, and then you just put the screw on and hold the card down and then put the cover back on. That's it. Job done. It's a bit fiddly some of the, the, the size of the screw so make sure you've got tiny screwdrivers if you're going to. Uh, and just don't drop the screw in the fan because it's right next to it. So just be careful with that. But no, once I've finished with that, works great. So happy with it. So happy with it. So now I've got like <laughs> nearly three terabytes. Yeah, it's 
And I've whacked a load of games on it, and it's barely took a fraction off it. It's like a fifth. Oh, nice. I've pretty much whacked all my PS, actual PS5 games on it. Oh, nice. Hmm. No, it's, it's not too... It's plenty of them. Works great. Can't complain. So it's highly recommended if you could get them at a reasonable price. It just got to the point where I thought, well, I've, got, I've, I've got to do this now. <laughs> Well, this is the thing. This is why I bought it like two terabytes. Where it set, effectively it was probably the cheapest price I could probably get it anytime soon. So mm. I'm, I'll just do it now whilst I've got the money and I can do. So anyway, enough of that. So that's that done. Something I've watched. So I've watched the Cuphead show. Oh yeah. Oh, is it, is it on Netflix? Yeah. So this was oh. recently released on Netflix. Uh, so basically, this is. Series about the beverage holder chap. Uh, so the Cuphead show follows the adventures of Cuphead, funnily enough, and his brother Mugman, who live in a house in the woods along with the Elder Kettle. I don't know Cuphead lore because I've not actually played the game, but he seems to be like their their grandpa or like their guardian or something like that. And each episode, uh, the two of them go on an adventure, which usually leads them into trouble, as you would expect. And the world is populated by the characters from the game. I mean, as I say, I've not played it, but I've seen gameplay of it, and I, I recognise some of the characters from it. Mm. And throughout the series, there is an overarching plot where the devil is trying to claim Cuphead's soul, and the duo's attempts to try and stop that happening. The devil, act, uh, the devil character in it actually kind of reminds me of Loki from the MCU. It's pretty <laughs> cool. It's all very much played for laughs. It's it's quite a slapstick series. Uh, voice acting, great. It's really good, the voice acting. I love the theme tune. The theme tune's great. Particularly the piano version during the credits. I love that. Um, there's 12 episodes, and minus the intro and the credits, they only last about 10, 11 minutes each. So you could probably binge watch them through all pretty quickly. Mm. I would recommend it. I, I just really liked its wackiness. It's a fun little series. Mm. Yeah. Okay. And then finally, what I've been playing. I've been playing a little game called Horizon Forbidden West. Oh, you actually got it. Mm. Nice. Wow. Mm. So, uh, I won't go too much into story, but I'll just... Mm, a few early points. So, it takes place six months after the events of the first game. And there's a short recap at the beginning of the game that basically goes through what happened, just in case you forgot. Um... And it starts off with like a prologue, which lasts a couple of hours, and it's basically like an elongated tutorial uh, that gets you back to like used to the controls and some of the new mechanics that are in the game. And as part of this prologue, you uncover plot uh, that is a catalyst that forces Aloy to then travel to the Forbidden West, and then you get onto the main game, and the main game takes place in a well to begin with in a fairly substantially sized area called the Daunt, which is like on the outskirts of the Forbidden West. Uh, but the gateway between them is locked for reasons, and Aloy must get permission to pass this by going through a process known as the Embassy. And now, that's that's all I'm going to say in terms of plot, because you know, obviously you guys have been wanting to play. So I'm just going to talk about how it actually plays. Uh, so first of all, it looks beautiful, as you'll probably imagine. There was some talk about this this problem with Shimmer. I don't know if you've heard about this. No. Uh, apparently when it released, I mean, I don't, I, know, I didn't know this myself, but 
apparently there was some like shimmer in the world and like things were glowing. I never noticed this, but it seemed to be a big thing online. Or maybe I'm just not very good at noticing this sort of stuff. I don't know. <laughs> that but, could be it. Yeah, probably. But no, it, it, I thought it looks, I think it looks great. I mean, there is a slight thing where Aloy's hair kind of glows a bit. It's like a, it seems like there's too much lighting on her. Hmm. Even when she's indoors. Maybe that's kind of what they're talking about. I don't know. But that's, that's the only quibble we've got real. Yeah, the environment was stunning, colourful. The character models are better. I mean, I still don't think they're amazing. I've certainly seen better, but they are better. I'll go to traversal. Now, getting around is much easier now. So this is mainly down to like Aloy's focus, now highlighting things like climbing spots. Mm. So if you use the focus, it would show like a, a yellow line or crosses, and that's pinpoints where you can climb. And she can climb a lot more areas now. Oh, good. good. It can be a bit finicky, even then again, where it's like, I know I can reach that point, but why are you not reaching to jump there? So then you have to move around. To, it's, occasionally it can be a bit of that. Because I do remember quite a bit of time in the first game wasting time trying to find climbing spots. <laughs> I just stood there looking around saying, where where do I climb from here? I know I've got to. But So this eliminates that, basically. It makes it a lot easier. Early on in the game, you find a device that allows you to hook things and pull them. So this can open up like new areas and objects to climb, things like that. Yeah. And this could also be used for grappling, for climbing. So throughout the game, there are these like anchor points. And if you jump and press X again, you'll grapple it and you'll pull yourself towards it. That okay. is really cool. It's a really cool mechanic that's in there. And the game also tries to like aid you in platforming areas now by the inclusion of ladders. I know that sounds simple, but so let's say you're climbing up somewhere and there's a risk that you, you fall down. Yeah. Now, throughout these platforming areas, there'll be conveniently placed ladders that they'll put. So when you get to that area, you can knock them ladders down. So then if you end up subsequently falling down, you can just easily climb back up to that point and you don't have to oh. go through the entire jumping puzzle again to get there so that's how, how very uh, zelda yes i mean it's a bit like you know god of war where you kick those chain things down when you go yeah. to areas and that kind of thing there's a lot more value in terms of scanning machines so when you get to a battle and you scan a machine i mean this has been revamped from the first one so rather than moving did you move the camera over each component or something like that. I can't quite remember. Uh, yeah, you could you could like move yeah. on from like armor to like a, a certain yeah. weak point. But in this, basically, it sort of locks on. So when you put the focus on and you focus on one machine, mm. it will sort of lock onto it. Okay. And you can then use the D-pad to switch between the components on the machine. Ah, uh, that's that's more handy. Mm. Yeah. And what's particularly useful for this is it will tell you if there's a rare component on the animal. I've done it again. I've said animal. <laughs> machine. <laughs> That's fine. On the machine. Um, and you can, so you can hide, and it allows you to highlight that component in the fight. So if there's one particular thing you want to get off that machine, you can highlight yeah. it and then you can easily follow it in your battle so you can take yeah. it out. Uh, but normally, yeah, so normally all the, they all highlight in yellow usually, don't they? the components but the one you tagged will be in purple so it easily stands out mm. it'll also give you like a little on the menu but it'll tell you 
if the component will be destroyed if you destroy the machine because that's what happens sometimes if you destroy the machine first without taking the component off it will destroy uh, the component okay and that's really useful because it will tell you if there's a rare component on it so it's that you know like there's one way there's no other way you'd be getting it you're supposed yeah, to, be able to tell you, you. to take this component off, yeah basically. so this is useful for like creating something or it's a rare you won't find this component anywhere else things like that it will tell you on the menu this one's a special oh. one so then you can focus on that one etc so that's really good one slight thing that i found a bit overwhelming to begin with was the skill tree now the skill tree in the first game was quite simple wasn't it it was just yeah. you know a series of straight vertical skills weren't it um mm. these it's divided up into like i think it's something like seven skill trees or something like that and they're only these weird diamond formations and some of them have got more than others and it's very it's when you first look at it it's quite confusing and they're like all connected and interlocking and things like that and when i first looked at it i just thought what the hell is going on here i just don't get it you, you can't learn it over time on a positive note you do get skill points more frequently this time because there are a lot more skills on offer oh, okay. a heck of a lot more not only do you get them for like leveling up so, you know obviously you, you do your leveling up throughout don't you and you get skill points for that you pretty much get them for doing any side activity so any side missions any side activities you'll get skill points as you go along doing it so it's well worth you doing them because you accumulate quite a lot i've accumulated tons without even realizing it i went, I went on it once uh, after a bit of time i realized i had 16 skill points which i hadn't spent but you, i think in order to get everything you will need a lot of skill points but it's good that it offers you quite a lot to get around they've introduced a board game so okay. so you know like okay. so you know obviously witcher 3 has gwent yeah yeah they've introduced a side activity board game in this called machine strike now to be honest i've only played the tutorial on this i don't the only way i can describe it is a sort of cross between chess and something like xcom it's the only way i could xcom yeah it's the only way i could possibly describe it i couldn't even begin to explain it because i I don't really understand it as i say i've only done the tutorial but yeah so you move the pieces and then you just if you get next to one other one you can attack it and it's got like like health points for each piece and things like that i i don't know but it's it's an interesting thing i'll probably play more of that um side missions they feel a lot more developed than oh, in the first game they have better dialogue for a start and i was particularly impressed with the animation of them when aloy's there talking to them it just feels a lot more like a natural conversation i found it's like they all have mannerisms and they're all you know, articulating and things like that and it just it just looks much better i think and you have more like dialogue choices and things like that in each one as well which i, I just think they just feel like proper conversations now one big gripe that we had i think we all had with the previous game is inventory management yes mm, yeah so we had this annoyance where if you picked up well, you could increase your capacity, obviously, couldn't you? To, yeah. Was it 120, 120 slots or something like that? But we always got to the position where we had too much to carry. You said, no, nope, you can't have that. And then you have to play this little game of what do I drop to pick up 
and that kind of thing, don't you? Or what do I sell? What do I destroy? What do I disassemble? Bloody bloody blah. I'm pleased to see that they've completely changed how inventory management works in this. Okay. So, the way it works now is that you still have a carrying limit, but any excess that you collect automatically goes to what's called a stash box. So okay. in settlements and various places that you find, you have your own very own stash boxes. And everything you accumulate outside of your carrying capacity automatically goes there. And every time you visit a settlement, you can go and just collect it from there. And there's no limit to what that stash box can hold. So basically what I'm saying here is pick up all the things. Pick up everything. Thank goodness (laughs) this. This is what the people want. Yeah. Never worry about what you're carrying. I mean, there might be specific things that you need that will go to your box that you have to go and retrieve. But largely, you come across it. Basically, every time I come across the centre, I just go to my stash box. There's one button that says restore all. So that'll just fill up everything that if there's something you're low on, it will automatically refill everything in the stash box into your current capacity. Simple. It's so much easier. It works brilliantly. It's just much, much better. There are some differences in terms of the weapons. I've not even quite got used to yet. There's a lot more weapons. Because you know how normally you, had, you just had your hunter bow and your shadow bow, and but you had like maybe three or four versions of it, didn't you? You know, like a Karja bow and mm. the shadow wall bow, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You can buy weapons which are specific to like the element, elemental things, or so you might get a fire bow or an acid bow or something like that. I don't quite know. I've not quite got to grips with how it all works, whether you can get one, because I've not come across any that has more than one um, upgrade slot as of yet. Okay. So I don't know. So I'm a bit confused about that. I'm sure there are probably more weapons later on. I'm sure there are going to be rare weapons, because all my weapons are uncommon. But... (laughs) But was it that? But anyway, I'll finish off talking about accessibility options. These are some of the best I've seen in games. So, and I'm not talking about like um, you know things with like disability and that kind of thing. I'm talking about the way you can, just the ways you can actually play the game, based on your skill level or whatever. Okay. So, of course you've got your like your five levels of difficulty, haven't you? As is, was in the first one. Mm. But along with that, in the menus. You also have things like concentration duration. So do you know when you're obviously doing your concentration, when you're firing your arrow? In the menus, you can actually change how long that lasts. If you, if you know, if you're not great in utilizing that very well, so you can have it slow, you can have it short, medium, or long. You can do it so it's like auto concentration. So when you start aiming, it will auto just do the concentration thing. It can also auto heal. So if you drop before below 50 health. Eli will just automatically heal. Okay. And then you've got like things like your quest pathfinding, so you've got like little markers. I, th- this, I think this was in the first one. But, yeah. But you have like quest markers which are nearby, which guide you to where you want to go. You can slow that, so you know where you put the weapon wheel on? Mm. You can slow that down as well. So, you know, the game runs in the background, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. On the weapon wheel. You can change the duration of how quick the game is running 
whilst you've got the weapon wheel open. Oh, which is good. It's just it's just really a nice way of going around things. You can also do things like um, auto spin. So if you're on foot or on a mount, instead of like clicking the left stick in to then run for Aloy, mm. if you just move the analog stick, she'll just auto start running, which is useful if that's kind. Of, I mean, it's not great when you're doing platforming bits because then you end up running off things, but <laughs> <laughs> or stealthing. <laughs> but in general, it's that's pretty good. And then mm. it's also the thing in the mounts because if you're on a mount, you have to I think you have to tap X a few times, don't you, to speed? Yeah. The mount it's, it's like the Red Dead kind of way of doing it. Yeah, although you don't have to keep tapping, do you? You just have to do it a few times and then it stays. So. That's really good. So you can have it auto running things like that. But one other great thing is what's something that's called the easy loot mode. So do you know how I mentioned earlier about you have to like if you get a rare component off a machine mm. and you have to shoot that bit off before yeah. killing the machine, otherwise it gets lost. It does away. With, it gets away with that. It, it does away with that. So you can just kill the machine, and your component's still on it. And it's just, it's just a really nice option to have. The all these different things, they're just, they're just nice things. Yeah. So I swear that, you know, that anybody could play this game to a reasonably good standard based off all these options. So even yeah. like from a five-year-old to a pensioner, I think could probably play this pretty well if they just utilise these different options available to them. Yeah. Um. But overall, I'd say it pretty much addresses all the issues I pretty much had with Zero Dawn. And it just takes it and just makes it, it's just better to play. I think it's terrific. I'm not, I'm not majorly that far into the story yet. I played roughly around 15 hours. And I've, I've barely scratched the surface of the story, I have to say. But it's very good, really enjoyable. Really, really enjoyable. Right, should we move on to the Video Game Hall of Fame? Yes. This is where we take a look at a game of high quality or historical importance and induct it into our pantheon of games we feel deserve special recognition. I took to this episode, released in 1985, originally for the PS1 and the MS-DOS, developed by Reflections Interactive and published by Cygnosis. It's Destruction Derby. Well, not Destruction Derby Raw. No. Because no. <laughs> that's a different game. Yes, well. A light game, shall we say. Okay. So, what is Destruction Derby? So, quite simply, it's a recreation of the chaotic sport Demolition Derby, where vehicles compete against each other to see who can survive the longest. Mm. It's probably one of the best, better earlier forms of Battle Royale, shall we say. Yeah, yeah, say yeah, you'd, you'd make an argument for it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's fair to say that what probably made this great is the, is the physics. Oh yeah, yeah. I think um, I think it was it was one of the the games that had like uh, the earlier games that had like a like a, a damage model for cars, where you could you know damage certain parts of it, um, but still obviously carry on racing. Um, I was just it was just a lot of good fun, wasn't it? Just ramming into the cars. Yeah. So when your vehicles got dented, they actually affected your performance. Didn't <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so you had like a, I suppose like a health bar for each part of the car that was damaged. Yeah, you had a graphic, didn't you, of your car? Yeah, so you had like hood, sides, main body, and then like the back, I suppose. Yeah, and they usually there's like this traffic light system, didn't they? So green, everything's fine. Yellow, it's a bit yeah. banged up. Red, it's a bit screwed. 
Yeah, like if if a bit of my car was red, it's normally like the bonnet. I'd find myself like reversing round trying to yeah. get hits that. Reversing <laughs> round. But but if it's like if one side of your car's all red, it's just like you can't turn that way. Yeah. The destruction derby though was just absolutely mental. I just love that aspect of it. Yeah. It was just it. I mean, even today. I never played it back in the day. I've only played it recently, but even now I still think it holds up. I mean, graphically, mm. the cars leave a bit to be desired, but in terms of like the raw gameplay aspect, you can, if you are doing like a race, for example, you can just click X and just, then just drive. You don't have to, I found myself not even like slowing down at all. It was just action. And when I were lapping people, getting into like groups of cars and just smashing them up and stuff. Oh, just so much fun. This guy. All rider. Cheating. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that was something good about the actual destruction double, was it? Is where everyone's just like facing towards the centre. They just drive yeah. towards the centre and just a big mash. Yeah, well, that was always because they, um, the game came with like three mods, weren't there? So it was like, yeah. The normal racing. Um, so you had the stock car racing. That was the. Yeah. So you had the stock race. car one, which was just normal race. I think there was the wrecking race where yep. it was based on points. So the more you wrecked other cars and kind of where you were position wise, yeah. um, the more points you got. So like, obviously, the higher the points, the better you were. Um, and then you just had like full on destruction derby where like all cars in a bowl, based in the middle, last. Man standing, basically. Um, yeah, just much. wreck the bejesus out of everyone, mm. um, which was fun. And it allowed, um, yeah, had 20 cars on screen at one time. Yeah, I think this was, was one impressive. of the first games to do it for the PlayStation as well, which is, yeah, a, like I said, an impressive feat for the PlayStation at the time. Yeah, the only other console game that I'd done that by that point was Daytona USA. Daytona. But I read that um, apparently the developers, they, they intentionally made the track small so that vehicle density on screen would be bigger, would be higher. So that would lead to like more huge wrecks happening. Yeah. Mm. Which, let's be mm. honest, is the most fun part. So. Well, yeah, just, just looking at the, the like list of tracks that there are, um, they are, they are like pretty small. It's pretty much like you've yeah. got kind of a normal speedway, which was not an oval, but like a, like a, Rounded rectangle, I suppose. Um, you had the crossroads, which is probably the more chaotic well, one. Well, it was called crossover, but the graphic was incorrectly labelled as crossroads. Yes, that's what I've just, just seen that, you know, yeah. Um, we had one that was called the Ocean Drive, which was speedway, but with like an added bit on the end that you'd kind of navigate around. Um, you had Cactus Creek, which was like crossover, but on steroids. Um, not going to say what the shape looks like when you actually see it, but that's, uh, that's by the by. Uh, cactus. <laughs> yeah, sure, it looks like a <laughs> cactus. Anyway, uh, <laughs> and then they had the City Heat, which was like a, I suppose, kind of a square with a, with an S at one, in one part of it. S bend, a little bit of an S bend. Um, and I think there's a, there's a bonus track as well, I think, which doesn't show off how, what it looked like, so I can't, can't tell you. No, I can't remember playing on it, so. <laughs> well, that's because it was unlocked by coming first in Division 1 Championship. 
that is probably what I mean. So the, the, uh, the ruined monastery. Mm. But there was a chief to get it. Oh, really? Mm. So if you entered your name as reflect, exclamation mark, it became a real in race practice time travelers. Very nice. That's what I like about old school games. Being able to unlock stuff with password and that. Yeah, the cheats. The cheats. Um, and of course, as well, the destruction derby mode had its ball, which is a circle, yeah. basically. <laughs> Do you ever play the multiplayer? Do you ever play it with anyone else? I didn't know, no. This, this was one of the things that surprised me when I first booted it up, because when you first load the game, you see one PlayStation there mm. but then you can set it to two and hook two ps1s up together yes to so it's originally going to use the playstation link game mm. all right originally it was going to have up to eight players that would have been insane for the time but it only ended up being oh, two. Cool. but if you did do that it opens up a few more game modes so you had uh jewel which is man against man uh, kill or get killed, that's what it's all about. Get out there and show who's boss. This is, I don't know, this is taken from the manual. Mm. Uh, team pairs. It's up to 32 players can get together to form two-player teams. You and your friends will work together in each race or destruction derby to be in lead positions. Both players' points will be added at the end of each lap. Team scores will be entered on the lead classification table. And then you tag. All your opponent's cars are out to get you and your friend. Turn around just in time and you will you will see how 14 cars target on your friend or on you. That sounds mental. They, they sound amazing. I can just imagine eight PS1 linked up together with the multi-tap in there as well to get 32 players. <laughs> but there's one more no, mode. You can only have 20. There's one more mode called uh, Seek and Destroy. This mode is the same as the one before, but much more violent. First seven Cooper... Uh, First seven computerized cars will go for you as well as your human opponents. Every time you ram one of the computer cars or they ram you, the car will forget about you and start chasing your enemies. So try to ram as many cars as you can and remember your enemy is doing what to, is doing what would what? And remember your enemy is doing would do exactly the same thing. What? That doesn't make sense, but that's what that's what it says <laughs> in the manual. Fair enough. This should have been played to the end. It's a single player, that would have been great. To play those yeah. sorts of things. Mm, that would have been cool. Maybe they just didn't have the technology to make the AI do that for well, one system, potentially. Ah, maybe. Mm. Let's talk about the cheats. Yeah. yeah there are a few other ones, bar the monastery one. Mm. So in terms of the cheats, the um, where you put the cheats in is where you'd enter your name normally. Um, and then there was a few. There was one that all competitors will start smoking. And if you tap in Derby Man. Oh, 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 Ah, well, this is interesting that you're saying these. These are actually hoax ones. These really? are true. Yeah. <gasps> oh. So You've been fooled? Was, yeah, the Derby Man was a hoax one. It's widely reported, but apparently that's not true. That one that does actually exist. I'm going to try it after the podcast. Uh, <laughs> Let's prove this. Yeah, so, so I've already said the... Um, there was, apparently there was also one that said if you put Ridge and Racer as well as separate ones, then that unlocks a Ridge Racer style track, which is that's a hoax as well. <laughs> because why would they even have that license? <laughs> Do you make sense? Yeah. Okay. But I think the funniest hoax cheat is the one where um, if you typed in monkey, 
<laughs> then you perform five 360 degree spins. A monkey would begin running around the track, hitting and hitting the monkey is worth a large amount of points. <laughs> Who comes up with right. stuff? Unfortunately, that's not true though. Oh. <laughs> oh. Have you got the other cheats? I do. So there's this one: enable number of competitors. I don't know what that means. Um, so if you type in N players with no spaces, that'll give you that one. Invulnerability, exclamation mark, and then damage, exclamation mark. That'll give you that infinite car. God mode. God mode, yeah. <laughs> infinite car. Um, yeah. C credits after beating Division 1. If you did credits with a Z at the end, exclamation mark, that'll give you that. And then Mark's already mentioned the uh, reflect exclamation mark to get the monastery level. Mm. Uh, there was there's a couple others as well. Just reading yeah. sort of the list of it. Um, so on the so apparently this is only PlayStation only. On the piracy warning screen, if you press and hold L1 and left and circle, uh, an image of the reflections team will appear. Uh, at the beginning of an event, if you hold X and right for a few seconds, you get four points. That's a bit random, isn't it? Four yeah, points. Yeah, it's a bit random, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, one more for just the PlayStation uh, is if you select Total Destruction Mode from the main menu, as soon as the game starts, pause and exit. If you had zero seconds on the clock, your name will appear on the scoreboard with either 599.00 seconds or 566. Exclamation, uh, question, question mark, mark, question mark, second. Um, point of that, I don't quite no. know. Yeah. I think there was, there was one more as well. Well, to, sorry, to, to add to the end players one, apparently for that, which was on PlayStation side, um, if you go to the track selection screen, select a track, you'll be able to choose the number of competitors um, that would compete with you, um, which was that one. And then apparently one for the... DDoS as well. Um, if you enter in explanation mark speedy all caps explanation mark as a name, you select a championship event and you'll notice that your car is a lot faster. It's a bit cheap, but who cares? <laughs> God mode and speedy mode. Get them both. God mode. <laughs> yeah. That'd be brilliant. Do you know what I really enjoyed? The names of all the races, like at the very end. Oh, yeah. So I I played a bit of like I did a few like tests like as a, like the rookie mode and I thought mm. yeah I've won these races I'll be ready to start a championship so I started that I ended up finishing fourth and got absolutely mm. wrecked and the people that beat me so the the guy that came first was called the scum <laughs> nice name the get the guy that came second was the optician and the guy that came third was the bouncer. I mean, in football, in terms, it was like getting beaten by San Marino. <laughs> I've, I've actually got a list of all the competitors here. Oh, yeah. So, so they're all divided into divisions. So you've got Division 5, this is where you begin. So it's human play, like you're number one. Then you've got Trashman, number seven. The General, number 50. And the Bouncer, number 88. Division 4, you've got The Idol, number 23. The Optician, number 47. The Beast, number 66. And Passion Wagon, which is 69. Passion Wagon. Hey, nice. nice. <laughs> uh, Division 3, you got The Scum, number 13. 
The Goddess, number 35. Pyromaniac, 67. And you've got Undertaker, 77. Link to the wrestler? Who knows? Division 2, you've got Crunch Punch. That's a very weird name. Uh, That's 22. Learner Driver, 37. Psycho, 40. And Heavy Metal Hero, 52. And then you got Division 1. You got Barmy Army, 53. Wait. Suicide Squad, 82. Oh. The Taxman. I imagine <laughs> being chased around by the Taxman. That's number 95. And then finally it was The Doctor, who was 99. Oh. She's been a TARDIS. <laughs> so in the manual, it did give you some hints at how to play. You read these. No. So here's, here's some tips for you. Taken direct from the manual. So number one, when being closely followed by an annoying car, simply apply your brakes firmly. This will stop the offender promptly in their tracks while causing considerable front-end damage to their vehicle. Two, if you find your vehicle being overtaken, turn sideways into the rear corner of the overtaken vehicle. If you hit your opponent properly, he will spin suddenly, which probably will not bother the other drivers too much. Three, accelerate sharply into the back of a car as it brakes to take a bend. This manoeuvre will almost certainly finish with the rammed vehicle taking a nosedive into a wall, which will end its metallic life. (laughs) Four, squeezing and ramming other cars into oncoming walls to stationary wreckage is also highly recommended and will give you a chance for hearty laughter. (laughs) (laughs) And number five, as you approach another vehicle, wait until you can see the whites of the other driver's eyes. They turn sharply so that your vehicle takes side damage while your opponent's car sustains crippling front-end damage. These simple rules will give you many hours of pleasure. You will have to discover your own ways of more accidents during your race, as every veteran destruction derby driver knows. That is the key to success. I'm sure it is. <laughs> yeah. Mm. One thing that I found when I started playing it, um, on the far left you can select kind of what level you play as like so I obviously I start as rookie and go on as rookie um, but I was like oh I wonder if I can change my car in this section so I clicked in and changed my car and I was like oh this one looks cool and then I ended up going into a race not noticing that I set it to the highest difficulty hey. <laughs> I got, honestly I got wrecked in about must have been about 18 seconds or something it was absolutely insane I thought I was just choosing a cool car yeah, you don't realise that the vehicles are actually the uh, difficulty set. Yeah. <laughs> ah, this pro car looks quite nice. I'll go with that. Mm. Yeah, that's it. It must yeah. mean I'm, I'll go faster. No, it doesn't. <laughs> but that's why well, you did, well, did. Technically, you did go faster. Yeah, yeah. But so did everybody else. You also well, wrecked faster as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's one thing I did kind of like the the way that you build kind of what the game that you want to play. So like what kind of level you want to play, what track you want to be on, and then you can choose, like, kind of, if it's a championship, a derby, or whatever. So, I like the way they can build that up before going into a game. And to be fair to it, it's it's really quick, like, going into games is fairly smooth, and then even when you get booted out, getting into another game again is quick, so it doesn't take away from anything. Because with some games, you can be there waiting ages for it to load, but this one, it's quick it's good did uh i did enjoy the the sequels that it spawned from as well i, I do th- i do think destruction derby raw might be my f- 
favourite one. Um, I don't know if I played Rogue. Well, it's, it introduced the uh, the like skyscraper uh, scraper, um, mode where it's like it's ball, but it's on top of a skyscraper. So you have to you, you end up like knocking right uh, your opponents off, which is quite. That's fun. pretty raw. Yeah, <laughs> it's pretty raw. Uh, yeah, I, I I find myself playing more the destruction derby like modes out of the games than the actual racing. Um, they were just they were just the fun parts of it. Um, yeah, I, I do think the racing actually kind of took a backseat, didn't it? <laughs> Compared yeah. to just the destruction derby bit. Oh, is it? Funny. You, just, you just wanted to ram all the other cars, didn't you? Less racing, more hitting each other. Um, just, just a bit, of a, bit of a shame the series kind of end, ended. Didn't really yeah. get well, so far. You could say more recently, Wreckfest is a bit of a spiritual successor to it. Yeah. Oh, certainly, yeah, yeah. I absolutely love Wreckfest. Very good. Certainly can can count as a spiritual sequel to the to the whole game. So I just I I, I just enjoy these games a lot more than than you, the realism ones like Forza and Gran Turismo. That's just arcade gaming, really. Just fun, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah. More focus on fun, less focus on. Realism. Does it allow you to get the aggression out of it? Like just go and smash things. Yeah. Oh, certainly. Yeah. What better Save than me. after a hard day's work to go into a bomb and just <laughs> smash all the vehicles? Save me some some uh, some wardrobes, certainly. What well, like that in VR with a? Oh God. VR with the PSVR headset, PS2 headset with the rumble. <laughs> with the steering back. wheel. And the steering wheel. Yeah. <laughs> There we go. That's what we want. And, and the the chest piece as well. Yeah, the squid the squid vest as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Love that. Uh, and just have some. in real life. Just have, just have two people stood side of you. Just keeps shoving you every time you get hit. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's going to be that when you're like going into a, into a crash, like the feedback will just like absolutely just like send your head yeah. back. Yeah. Like... <laughs> whiplash. <laughs> Proper whiplash. Here we go. <laughs> so you get rear rendered. It's just like. <laughs> oh God. Yeah. That would be the next level, like the chair that you sit in, the golf shoe and stuff. Yeah. Wreck Wreckfest on on VR would be a bad idea. Sounds terrific. Well, in an IMAX chair. Well, in a full full IMAX, 40x. 40x, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh god, it's realism. Didn't do anything to my back though. Be fine. Shall we finish up with uh, the introduction that's in the manual? Yeah. Alright. So this is from the manual. It says, uh, being an unofficial history of Destruction Derby. Being an unofficial history of Destruction Derby. Does that make any sense? Doesn't That's what like it says. It, but, <laughs> yeah. Well, if it says it. So it says, with the invention of the motor car came the invention of the flagman. And shortly after the invention of the flagman came the invention that is Destruction Derby. Here's how. Put simply, the flagman was an early version of a traffic light. Walking slowly in front of a road, going vehicles, it was his job to control the flow of cars through built-up areas. Obviously, this would not be a major contribution to road safety today, but in slower, less frantic days it was. Carrying both red and green flags, he would boldly wave the red flag if he wanted the vehicle behind him to stop, and this would be followed shortly after by the green flag, which signalled to the driver that the way was clear for their journey to continue. Occasionally, three gusts of wind blew the flags into the face of the unwitting flagmen. 
and with arms flailing wildly, they became the premium filling in a metal sandwich. The car owners were understandably miffed at the damage done to their fine coachwork, and yet found the attraction of bumper crunching action simply irresistible. And so they set out to make it an official pastime. Hay bales were arranged to make a track, rules were written, and then wheels spun into the dust. And the flagmen? They were allowed to preserve mind, body and soul by simply starting the mayhem with a bold wave of both of their flags. And with this simple gesture, uh, an all-action, highly addictive sport was born. Honest. Nowadays, most cities in most countries across the world have a destruction derby track. And those which don't, such as Athens or Rome, remedy this by allowing the locals to use the public road system. But you don't need to worry about any of this. In fact, you don't even need to know how to drive because you have just become the proud owner of one of the best games in the world. Probably. So ask your friends round, crank it up real loud, and get wrecked. So apparently that's the birth of the Destruction Derby. Where how true that is, I don't know. Very fun but, game. Very fun to uh, take some aggression out. So. Yep, and play it if you reckon you can handle it. No, I get it. Reckon... Uh, that was the tagline so there you have it (laughs) that's Destruction Derby into the Video Game Hall of Fame if you enjoyed listening to us please consider tuning in next time we release bi-weekly on Tuesdays you can visit our website at joggedolphin.com where we post the Hall of Fame also feel free to follow us on all social media platforms to continue the conversation you can find Joggedolphin on YouTube and Facebook as well as on Instagram and Twitter at Joggedolphin until next time thanks for listening goodbye Sayonara.